0: Hey, folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vin will be rating and reviewing Paris, Texas by Wim Wenders, If Beale Street Could Talk by Barry Jenkins, we have newly released Leave the World Behind by Sam Esmail, Eileen by William Oldroyd, and finally, The Boy and the Heron, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. So it's going to be a great show, folks. Stay tuned and enjoy. Daily, how we doing, buddy? Hey, Tommy, how's it going? Oh, boy, there you there go, it loud is it. again. <laughs>
1: there, there I am.
0: I just never learned my lesson. I just never learned my lesson. <laughs> go all on. right, there you go. now you sound a little bit better. <laughs> how was your week of movies, man?
1: Oh boy, uh, a week I had to work for. Really? I'll tell you what, this yeah, yeah. Uh, nearly all these, all of these uh, were not simple movies to cover. Uh, <laughs> you know, each one was a, was a challenge. Uh, in a a lot of different ways. So uh, it was not like a, uh, I'll give you (laughs) a recent week that came to mind. It wasn't like the Hunger Games week where I was just trying to see who you know Jennifer Lawrence was going to kiss at right, the end? Right. Was it country boyfriend or psyops <laughs> boyfriend? Uh, this week, uh, uh, almost every one of these movies needed like a whole day of uh, thinking about the notes and and really refining what I wanted to say. Okay, uh, which is good. Uh, I'm happy, but uh, you know.
0: You were working. Uh, you were working. It
1: was it was a working week.
0: Okay, before we started, you said you were dying to know what I watched. Yes. You were yeah, dying yeah, to know yeah.
1: what I watched. I was, I was really trying not to ask you what you watched.
0: I'll tell you right now. Yeah? Okay, so I watched The Boy and the Heron. Okay, all right. Watched it by myself Monday, Monday night, at, at... A freaking movie tavern. Oh wow! But I got that good. The movie tavern has one decent theater, apparently. Okay. Because I always bitch about their their size yeah, of the yeah. screen and the sound. Yeah. This one, the screen size was fine, and the sound was actually pretty good. Oh, okay. It nice. was in their nice. special, not DTX, their Atmos theater, mm. whatever that was. Mm. Uh, so movie experience, movie watching experience, pretty good for mm. the boy in the hair. Yeah, arm. a
1: good soundtrack as well for that.
0: Thank God. Yep. Uh, and then I watched Leave the World Behind. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about
1: challenging yeah. folks? Oh my God. Uh talk about a minefield to get around as far as talking spoilers and everything so uh um, kind of yeah a little bit a little bit yeah. i'm excited
0: i watched it because we can i'm excited to talk about it with oh,
1: you oh sure absolutely absolutely
0: other than that we have to start things off right away uh, right away with a make good from me i need oh, to give an whoa. apology oh no don't uh, if you can believe I it i don't
1: need you to back down i need you to be my rock i no apologize
0: I, <laughs> I was a bad person last week and i yeah. had be rated i berated be rated our one producer. max (laughs) because i thought he i i was i had it in my head that a that a movie ticket was over twelve dollars it was 12 and change Uh so when max donated he goes hey you know 24 dollars two tickets i'm going you know i'm shaking i'm shaking my pockets you know what i mean (laughs) where's the change you know what i mean i feel like the red cross people or whatever the (laughs) red bucket people now that it's christmas i got the bell it's like you you know two tickets not quite anyway it's 11 and change yeah that Max don't it was, oh, it's eleven and change. So he he hit it. So Max not only gave us two movie tickets worth wow, but he also gave us a little bit more wow, and I berated the poor bastard. Round it up uh,
1: for the kids. Yeah. Round it up for the starving children.
0: So God knows we're light on producers every week as we get going. <laughs> we're still spinning. You're scared of all. <laughs> So, anyway, apologies to Max. We thank you so much for your two tickets and a little bit extra. Uh, and uh,
1: the cage match is coming soon, yeah. I
0: suppose. <laughs> I <laughs> guess I got to take tier. the bullet on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're first up in the ring. Uh,
0: okay, Vince. so anything other than opening notes for you?
1: Uh, no, Holly, I mean, no, this is gonna okay. be a long episode. That's my opening. Okay. <laughs> first one, uh, is a brief one, uh, because I really don't have a lot to say. Okay, but challenging because of that.
0: Well, let's get into it right away because I'm I was surprised or interested to why you picked these sure, first sure. two ones, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So we're going back to 1984. This is called Paris, Texas by Wim Wenders. Basically, did some research on the film stuff, getting it on the site. But this was the winner for the Palme d'Or or whatever, like that, oh, wow. uh, for the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, nice! Back nice. in '84, mm-hmm. so it was the film of the year at Cannes. Sure. Other than that, uh, why this film? Why this week?
1: Sure, sure. So, um, Wim Wenders uh, is. Coming out before the end of the year. And you know, watch the clock. There's not that much time. No. He is releasing two new movies uh before the end of the year that will count oh. in 2023. Both of these films aren't really getting a lot of critical buzz, but Wim Wenders was actually going to be um the subject of or a potential director's study that I wanted to do. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know any of that. Okay. Uh, and I really don't know a lot about him either. So you know, recently coming across the work. When Wenders, uh, researching these new director studies that I want to do in 2024. You know, he's a German director. He looks interesting. Uh, his films look interesting. <laughs> I wanted to give one of his most notable films a shot before I put a ring on things. And I'm really okay. glad I did because I really didn't love this film. Okay, so, okay.
0: Uh, I'm embarrassed I don't really know this guy at all.
1: Oh, no. I Honestly, that's no point of embarrassment. Okay. This is definitely in... I don't want to say art house but for sure this is not meant you know he is not even trying to achieve any sort of mainstream success in this he's okay. trying to tr- achieve very small personal films without the comedy almost like a uh, almost like a Woody Allen okay. uh, it feels like a day in the life type of stuff and he's and coming out with two two coming up two so Jeez. you know his work spans all the way back to the 60s First of all, wow. so you know, he, you know he's a working guy, uh, but nonetheless, uh, a lot of these films I don't even remotely recognize. You okay, know? I mean okay. I'm, I'm constantly diving into you know different filmographies and whatnot. Nonetheless, you know he's ap- applauded as you know one of these best direct, uh, best German directors uh, in in kind of uh, the modern film landscape. And these two new re- releases are Anselm and Perfect Days, both coming out within 2023. I don't know if wow. these had. Uh, a run, I would assume, just because I, I don't know what audience he has, you know, other than these, you know, these I film festival films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so. I mean,
0: then you know, I got my toe in the water a little bit, as I like to say. <laughs> yeah. I like to think I know a little bit what's going on. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that that's where it was like I needed to, I needed to jump into one of his most recognizable. Not that I really even recognize Paris, Texas, but I needed to. Understand what he was about, and if I even wanted to give it the uh, yeah you know, the
0: time. Day. It's good that we're covering. Like I said, it did win the whatever, essentially the best film award sure. during Cannes that year. Sure, that sure. usually says something good. Yeah, absolutely, know? absolutely.
1: Sadly, you know this film was difficult to unpack, and more often than not, I was always on the verge of. Um, yeah, well, it was always on the verge of losing my interest. <laughs> uh, I mean, boring is the wrong word, uh, I thought, uh, just not engaging, uh, though I was, you know, thoroughly bored while watching this. Uh, you know, performances and even style to the film are, are so intentionally downplayed that it felt like a fight to grasp at meaning every moment, and then that stretched across a painfully long runtime with this film. I mean, th- this film, again, I, I don't want to – I never want to throw out criticisms like boring or something so subjective like that. But it was, well, it was a little bit pulling
0: teeth. I will say the story seems small. I know mm-hmm. that the cast is small, and it's two hours and 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a, it's – you're a lot with these characters, and mm-hmm. I can only imagine how dialogue-heavy it is. No. <laughs> the opposite. Oh. If anything, the emphasis is lack of dialogue.
1: Uh, our main character is mute for, uh, I would say, a good half of the runtime. Uh, so we had,
0: so we had the killer on Netflix, <laughs> where the guy barely talked. Yeah, and it was just narration. <laughs> then we had the one yes last week, Silent yep. Night. Yep, yep. Which with the guy couldn't talk at all, and we're back here. <laughs> and but this one, two yeah. hours and twenty five minutes. Yeah,
1: I mean, granted, he does at the end. If anything, he becomes a little bit of a chatterbox. But, um, yeah, for long stretches of the film, he is kind of, um, emotionally scarred. And that that's where this like muteness comes in, but boy is it as desolate as the desert. Uh,
0: it is, it is, it is uh, tough, so where, tough to watch. So where does this plot take us?
1: Uh, yeah, so so Paris, Texas stars uh, Harry Dean Statton, uh, who uh, is always kind of an actor. I say, oh yeah, I like him. You know, pretty much just from him, st- uh, you know, in Alien. He plays a stranger that wanders out of literally nowhere in the desert wearing a cheap suit and a red baseball cap. We discover that this nobody has been Missing for four years and now has a whole life to rediscover. It's less amnesia and more of a traumatic blocking out. Okay. Uh, at first, I was guns out, <laughs> knives out. <laughs> Teeth showing, I said, "What? How is this amnesia?" Another one, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then, then, so critically acclaimed. I mean, like Ebert gave this like a perfect score four, back in yeah, the day. Yeah, four stars. Yeah, so I was like, "What is this?" No, but it it it, it plays more into the uh, emotional side uh, of what he is, uh, why he left in those four years, and why that is kind of a, a blackout period. Um, most dramatically, Stanton left behind a son who is now estranged uh, and untrusting of this mute weirdo reintroduced into his life. So uh, the implicit drama is him trying to not only find his way through this uh, foggy reality that mm-hmm. he now comes back into but also the the challenge uh, of reconnecting with his own son where that has no problem he has memories of his son and, and, and that's the emotional uh, through line to the film many scenes will quietly focus on Stanton's character uh, once again processing this strange reality he's returning to there is an unspoken tragedy that he has left a life behind And that kind of fogs his everyday life moving forward and a depressive gray tone smears over, uh, I mean, I'm talking every scene of the film. This is a very sad movie.
0: Um, so he's a depressing person to watch. Oh, for the boy sure. is depressing to watch.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a depressing context, but I, you know, I, I've said it probably a good dozen times on the podcast. I like sad things. Sure. I, I, you know, <laughs> I I am a weirdo in the sense that if a movie is making me feel miserable, I kind of like it. You know, <laughs> stylistically. Uh, this is just driven home on every level. On a positive, I feel stylistically, this is really brought home with a lonesome blues soundtrack done by Rai Cooter, uh, which last time I think we touched on Rai Cooter was uh,
0: Streets of Fire, I want to say? I rem- Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it but, was one film, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, he's, he's a cool name, but also he's, oh, he's like a blues legend. Yeah, so. I
0: think I know what it was, actually. Yeah. It was that it was that one film and maybe it was what you just said and it was the one film I believe the guy cool character mm-hmm. uh main actor we know the name and he played a uh was he a ro- like a biker?
1: Yes, yes. That's, that, that's of the, fire. Oh, yeah. okay, it is. Yep.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. It's a little bit of a wow, musical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, but but this this blue this lonesome blue soundtrack. I mean, it, it really is some perfect pairing on um, the the attitude, the mindset that our characters in and scenery most of all. Paris, Texas, uh, you know, just in the in the name of how it sounds, it sounds you know uh, middle of nowhere, uh, yeah, and uh, that type of. Uh, Emptiness is the outline that our characters feel every day now, and especially Stanton's character in this uh, blackout four-year period that he's now trying to piece together. So, props in crafting setting the stage if you will mm-hmm. for why this is a story we care about but oh my god is, is this movie pulling teeth to get through uh <laughs> you know I, I like artsy stuff i can get behind a a movie living off a of pure concept but while i was occasionally s- struck with beauty of this uh, kind of contemplative tone this contemplative scenes that come across the film it was just impossibly slow and impossibly slow, especially when considering you got you know two hours and twenty Soon plus, that, yeah, yeah, in front of you. Uh, it was it was a frustrating experience. <laughs> <laughs> Worst of all, I feel the answers that eventually come out of this, when for instance Stanton starts talking, and he almost doesn't stop talking, then in a very annoying way, uh, makes the story worse. I feel the the story is much better when our mind is uh, as the audience is kind of racing and Seeing, like, wow, what what could have possibly happened Mm -hmm. as the answers come along? It's uh, maybe a through line to what the film is trying to achieve, but just as disappointing as the lack of engagement when with what you're watching on screen.
0: So, no real payoff, then yeah, you're waiting all this time and there's still it's It's not giving you much.
1: Oh, okay, it's just kind of (laughs) like, oh, he's just a bad person, (laughs) you know, where so much of this film is empathetic uh, towards this right, uh, it's, right. it's, it's a tragedy almost so uh, you know Stan is like we said a, a near mute for half of the film and when he speaks so many lines of what he says or actions that he takes Um, It removes the angle of sympathy towards his sadness, and I think that's where I I really stuck the most with my final feelings on this film. Not to reduce Wender's artistry here, but this movie is, once again, two hours and 25 minutes, and that runtime dulls the already intentionally dull experience, and intentionally dull experience is what it's trying to achieve. The drama and the story is what suffers because of this, and I wouldn't have a problem with this if that story didn't try to awkwardly grow into something normal when it only slightly worked as a quiet oddity and a uh, an oddity that uh, I haven't really seen a film like it. it certainly deserves praise in that regard, but so much of it just felt like it never got its own footing, and when it got its footing, it kind of destroyed what was working in the first half. Mm. So I'm coming out very cold on this, Ebert shaking in his grave. We're going to go <laughs> ahead and give Paris, Texas,
0: 1984, a 48. Oh, wow, okay, 48. Yeah. Uh, Won the BAFTA for Best Picture, too. <laughs> yeah,
1: listen, <laughs> listen.
0: Uh, you know, I,
1: I can't I can't help but how I feel about it. And, and, and again, I, I feel like even on a critical level, there are things that – the film almost self-sabotages itself. Yeah. Uh, very painful to get through. Okay. so Well, a Wenders study will not be coming down the pipeline. <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe, it's we'll see. You know, it's a busy end of the year, folks.
0: Um, very busy, very busy. Uh,
1: I mean, I think something that we both prided ourselves on this year, Tom, is uh, how many movies we've covered. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is awesome to see. And we can't wait to unpack that on you know episodes like the Tom Daly's coming up uh, for our award ceremony folks. We'll see if we can fit in those two other movies. But I, I from the looks of them, they look exactly like Paris, Texas. Okay. So I don't
0: know if that's going to be for me. And, and they're not being talked about that at all. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be craving much that we, that we need to get those on the board.
1: And, and weird ones. Like Perfect Days is like a movie – in I, I think it all in Japanese. And it's like and he's, a, he's, a and he's a German, German guy. I, I, yeah. And so that that's where honestly a lot of the interest comes from my side. is just like this guy's clearly doing what he wants. Yeah. Which I, I respect. But uh It's gotta be
0: pretty old too. He's been working since the sixties. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. All right. Well, if Paris, Texas was on your radar, um,
1: <laughs> by, by some <laughs> yeah. by some chance,
0: maybe uh, uh, don't approach, watch uh, it. <laughs> approach it tepidly, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe aggressively, just to stay awake okay. on watching. This yes, video. and don't accidentally watch Paris, France. By the way, <laughs> oh, is Paris, that... France, different movie. Apparently, extremely sexual. Oh, I started because okay. I was was putting it on the site. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I started putting in credits, and I was like, wait a second, is this my? Really <laughs> Because it was just like the most sexual film ever, and I was just like, did Vin watch this? I was like, ooh, whoops-a-daisy, Texas. The, uh, answer yes. is Texas. <laughs> um, okay, 48%. Vin, let's keep on things moving here. We're jumping right away to 2018. This is If Beale Street Could Talk, directed mm. by Barry Jenkins, who we know from Moonlight. Yes, yes. And is this pre-Moonlight or post?
1: Post. Uh, the Actually, his only feature film after the fact.
0: Oh, really? So, yeah. And soon after,
1: right? Yeah. Like uh, a year or two. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think two years after, uh, he, he, he flips right away into it and got some Oscar buzz. But um, Yeah,
0: this is pretty well regarded. Critics seem to like this film. Mm. So if Beale Street could talk, uh, one, how did you like it? And once again, this week, uh, why this week? Exactly? Sure.
1: So yeah, th- this was a selfish pick that doesn't really tie itself into anything this week. But um, I listened to a lot of movie soundtracks, probably driven in my algorithm by my my note editing process. And this soundtrack in particular from Oscar winning Nicholas Bertone. Tell uh, had a hold on me, uh being a just such a profoundly beautiful and emotional piece that I needed to see the movie attached. To wow. It. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I like
0: I like this guy. Oh yeah. We did the theme song. Get the, the <laughs> composed for Succession. Yes. Yeah. Which, which which Amazon has told me was my number one listen in the year twenty twenty three. Really really shocked me. Really really surprised me that the number one thing I listened to was a Succession theme song. <laughs>
1: The check from uh, HBO in the mail. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the pedigree doesn't stop there. Uh, like you said, this is the the movie, fo- the follow-up film from writer-director Barry Jenkins, uh, who <laughs> suffered humiliation at the now infamous 2017 Oscars. Uh, the corrected Best Picture win for 2016's Moonlight was a really good film yeah. uh, and a
0: film that I enjoyed. Not embarrassing for him.
1: Uh, I guess.
0: Because yeah. fail- he, he ended up being the winner. Mm, true, true. You know what I mean? I guess, I think it's embarrassing for everyone involved. No. Uh, you know, faux pas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh,
1: while he has mostly done TV projects since, this is his only feature to follow up. Folks, what I did not expect was this much of a heady, heavy hitter. Uh, this was a phenomenal Ooh, movie. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. Okay. If Beale Street Could Talk covers many angles of racial divide and legal inequality that persists in James Baldwin's 1974 novel, using the early part of the decade to show some of the nastiest sides of New York. But in the forefront is a tender romance that survives the dark expectations of this story. These same expectations allow the watching experience of this movie to avoid cliché and without a doubt is one of the best movies I saw all year. Also, that year... I believe was the same year that Judas and the Black Messiah, I think it won the best picture of that year, but also a a Hmm. phenomenal movie, phenomenal movie. You did
0: like, that was in the 80s, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, something something to return to uh, again and again. Uh, I I will say that uh, this movie, I, I expected it to go one way, and... I think for some folks out there if you if you give this a watch you may be disappointed with that it doesn't go where you expect it. Uh but for that same reason that's why I felt this film was so great. Like I opened up the episode with was a challenging week because it was kind of putting into words what i felt was such a emotional and i don't want to i don't want to sound too flowery with my with my words but almost a spiritual type of experience as well. Hmm. Uh it was just such a powerful powerful movie in its execution. Really want to give hats off to Barry Jenkins for this one. This is much better than Moonlight. Uh, I
0: mean Moonlight uh, you gave a 72. You didn't mm-hmm. hate but you certainly Moonlight was yeah it was we covered it pre podcast. Sure. You know, it was yeah. Couch days basically. Yeah. You just could not uh you were not hyped about it like everyone else was. Or sure, a lot sure. of other critics were. Yeah. Um you could appreciate it, but that that was really being lifted up mm. that film. Absolutely,
1: and, and maybe that's uh, driven by uh, I I me really enjoying La La Land, and especially coming from um, okay yeah, uh, Damien Chazelle as a director mm-hmm. as well. So uh, I, I might have noted it for certain movies in the past, but this is a great movie for understanding the importance of camera work. Uh, this was a film that I rarely took notes while watching because so much is communicated in its visuals that I really didn't want to take my eyes away. The the classic uh, phrase, every frame a painting, uh, I think is a good description of this film. The cinematography is often intimate. Uh, blocking stays tight on a maximum of two figures for nearly every scene. This visual language is introduced to us in the context of romance, uh, emphasizing their love, which makes perfect sense. But... As the drama builds and as some crime elements build, the same closeness is used in drastically different ways. These ways include – and again, in the same type of intimate blocking that Mm -hmm. we get, uh, this closeness of two characters, the fear of admitting a pregnancy, juggling glares with – or rather judging glares with no intentions to hide them and especially the prejudice barely covered in this setting. Jenkins approaches all of this with the same proximity on, on screen. And just how I'll we'll say dozens times on the podcast, and I'll probably even say it again for a film later uh, in the episode, it is all in the execution, folks. This film has such a design to it that uh, I really did enjoy the, the you know all the scenes passing by. It kind of just melted away and created mm. just such an immersive experience to know these characters and these little pocket scenes that, they're basically in these one-on-ones, whether that one-on-one is with a friend, a family, or an opposition. Yeah.
0: So, and like you said, it needs to be done really well mm. because one, the acting needs to be there. Oh, yes. and two, there could be an awkwardness as far as viewer and then what's on the screen. Mm. To the mm-hmm. screen, it could almost feel too invasive. Yeah, where you're sitting there, wanting the camera to pull back a little sure, bit. Sure, you know sure. what I mean. Sometimes, if you've seen extreme close-ups mm-hmm. uh, or close-ups of two extended period of time mm-hmm. you have that natural thing of like you just want to back up a little bit sure sure so and also
1: if you're not engaging with the script or the performances this will oh, also oh, lose yeah. you I mean it's why kind of a shot reverse shot is the primary way we see dialogue because it keeps our interest going and mm-hmm, something yeah. changing on screen but I felt it was it was really perfectly executed this this kind of evolving scene of building blocks from the very start is a quality uh, uh, to the tone of the film and is right there in that soundtrack that brought me to it in the first first place. Uh, Bertel's noir sounding horns have little variation track to track, especially if you were to listen to this isolated. But it is the moments it is paired with that transforms how we hear the music. The solo trumpets and saxophones can stand out in moments of triumph, uh, assuring us that romance and love will conquer the day. And the next thing you know, the very same notes communicate the cold indifference the city has for seemingly every soul inside of it. It was such a... Uh, I don't know, well-designed, I guess, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. I mean, this is maybe when some mm-hmm. of my expertise around music specifically falls short, but I felt it was such a... Incredibly uh, appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Just a, a soundtrack that I can only imagine was created very much alongside the writing process mm-hmm. or the adapting process of the novel of this film.
0: Now, did this feel... Th- now, this is... What time frame are we... In
1: seventy four, I think that's when the novel was released, and it seems like it's it's written present day. Okay, so early seventies, New York, certainly nasty and yucky.
0: So did the did the music was the music fitting for just the mood of the film, or did the music take you back as well to mm. the seventies?
1: Uh, maybe not an entirely appropriate for the seventies, but I guess I guess. My answer to that is that these characters come from such p- poverty mm, okay. uh, that maybe in, in listening to these jazz stylings of the film, uh, sounding like almost like a 50s noir or okay. something like yeah, that, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: that, that almost plays into a kind of a hammy down nature uh, of, uh, of, of what they have to listen to. Right, right, uh, okay. And uh, a lot of that is communicated from needle drops on a literal vinyl inside uh, or just these atmospheric horns that Bertel is putting over these scenes, you know, whether they're romance or whether they're twisted and dark. Cool. But honestly, uh, like I said, folks, this is a, something that the execution was so amazing on that while watching this movie and while watching almost every movie this week, Mm -hmm. I was peppered with the thought that I should just let, the films speak for themselves. Obviously, my 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 job is is <laughs> to speak. Is, yeah, no, right. Man. To speak to to explain, but for the qualities that I I loved about you know or, or was finding uh, appreciation for in in every one of these films this week, even 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 Paris Texas, as I <laughs> maybe was nodding off a little bit. It, you know, it it's something that uh, I felt. On the strong notes, it really just needed to be seen. It uh, Words can't describe what is, uh, what is crafted and what is weaved together for this. Uh, and it comes up here in talking about performances with this film. Obviously... It, because of the the cinematography and how scenes are set up, performances are a huge highlight here. Yeah, um, they need to be good. Yeah, uh, this, this plays into Regina King receiving an Oscar for her performance as the mother. That honestly comes nowhere close to the incredible job seriously everyone does on screen. I really did love... Every single performance in it, and 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 that's where I say, give this film a watch for yourself to experience the many wonderful parts in sync for every minute of the runtime. We're gonna go ahead and give if Beale Street could talk an eighty-six. Whoa! Whoa! A must watch. Wow! A must
0: watch, Woo, folks. <laughs> wow. Baby, you really you slapped me across the face with that one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 86%. Yeah, this a was, must watch. This was a phenomenal movie. Like uh, I said, I knew it was rated high, like critics liked it. Sure. But right. it wasn't like it wasn't out of control. I wasn't I, I, expecting this. I feel this. like
1: even when it was coming out, because wow. that's when, you know, I think both of us were kind of slowly more and more tuning in to trying to watch a lot of movies. Uh
0: not so much me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's 20, 2018, Oscars is 2019. That's yeah. when we weren't quite Quite there yet? The couch days, mm. but we weren't rolling with this podcast sure, yet. That's sure. for sure, right? Uh, but uh, and oh yeah. man, a-
1: on the surface was a movie I, I I thought was not even worth paying attention to. Boy, was I wrong! And uh I, and, and still even watching today. I mean, this was such a good movie. Wow, I mean, really one of the best of the year that I had the pleasure Folks. of watching.
0: If Beale Street Could Talk 2018 by Barry Jenkins. Let's just highlight a little bit. Uh so also Kiki Lane is yep. the main actress, Stephen James mm-hmm. um is the lead actor. Like you said Regina King got the Oscar nom uh, Yeah, for what playing. surprised
1: me is that that love wasn't spread around for nominations. Um and I guess it's it's it, you know it's kind of no-dub point of about Oscar snubs year to year, but, well, um, yeah. you know, this this one surprised me because so much of wow. it is a platform, you know, for these characters and for these actors playing the roles.
0: Unbelievable. Okay, all right. So 86%, that's huge. And w- another note on Barry Jenkins, because, okay, he's done basically two films mm. and uh, very high-regarded. Oh, he absolutely. won the Oscar on the one, but I think it's very, very cool because he's still pretty young, I think. Mm-hmm you know, just props to writer and director, mm. you know, because it seems like the writing was phenomenal in this absolutely. as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll it, be
1: very excited to see what, what his next project is, whether it's a like a book adaptation like this or I believe something original like Moonlight. I think Moonlight was original. I'm not
0: too wow. sure. I was not expecting a, uh, a must-watch here on this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> 86 is a
0: huge score, folks. Like, right. Just say if you're new to the podcast, 86 is huge. Oh, If you're above absolutely. 85, we say that that is like – all-time, must basically, must-watch must watch for any audience member. Make
1: some time to watch it. Wow. Absolutely.
0: Okay. All right, all right. Eighty six for for It Beel Street could talk, folks. Do not sleep on that. Even this in, in this in what is an unbelievably busy December <laughs> as far as new movies are <laughs> yeah, concerned. Yeah. Maybe carve out some time or just make a note in your own lists. Uh, Watch this at some point. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I definitely will here coming up.
1: Yeah, and it, it also speaks to maybe a challenge. Um, I think we were talking about this uh, off, off podcast, but it's uh, it's kind of tough sometimes when you know a movie is good. It kind of gets pushed to the back burner because you say like oh I, you know I know it's good uh, I'll yeah. call it Godfather Syndrome you know everyone knows the Godfather is good oh. no one actually watches the Godfather <laughs> uh, so uh, but I, I really hope this movie does not fall to the, uh, your, your back burner list folks uh, it was such a a, a well crafted movie and, and again if you if you listen to some of our reviews and when we get to cinematography you're like I, I don't know I just don't appreciate films this way once again this is and, and like I've no- noted on a few others this is a phenomenal starting point to try to grasp an appreciation for why cinematography matters and why blocking matters and things like that.
0: All right, so kind of just a very good, I don't know, we can all learn something from this film a little bit. Uh, sure. Know, people right. who listen who are not just the casual kind of viewer, people who sure. are into film who listen, because mm-hmm. we know that there's some out there. Um, if you're interested in de- film craft. Definitely don't sleep on this film. Yeah. Excellent, Van. Very, very good. Okay, so before we jump into our newly released films, we just want to remind people that we are completely uh, producer supported. So basically... There are no subscriptions here. There are no paywalls here. Uh, there are no payment tier structures here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all value for value. It's a value for value model. So basically what that means is, are you enjoying listening to the podcast every week? Or are you stopping by every so often when there's a film that you care about, mm. but you care to hear Vin's review of it? Maybe even a Tommy 2 if you're lucky. <laughs> uh, are you enjoying it every week? Are you curtailing or into film more Now, than what you were before you were listening. Also, are you using the website? You know, before turning something on Netflix, you're gonna be like, well, let's just, you know, Mm. let's just check the daily ratings real quick. Let's see if it's on there and kind of judging from that. Or are you just having a good time? Basically, Mm -hmm. that's all value in your pocket. We ask you to give us value back in our pocket. It's a value for value model um, and basically what you do is you go to the donations tab on the daily and you can donate whatever amount whether it's one of our fun set donations or whether it's whatever donation you want you set the amount it's your value that you're getting that you can send our way when you do that you can write in a note whether it's on PayPal uh, the PayPal note side or you can just email at Tom at the daily ratings.com. email a note whether it's questions comments critiques you want to know something else on you know, move not movie related or you want to dive deeper on something, or you want to give a critique to the show, you want to see something different, uh, like I said, it's producer-supported. When you donate, you are a producer. We're going to read those notes. We're going to take it seriously, and we'll read them right here on the podcast. This is the producer segment here. So uh, that's kind of how we operate. We're enjoying it. Uh, we thank you to uh producer last week. Sorry for, sorry for getting the numbers wrong. <laughs> but... Um, you know, we're, we're 112, this is 112 episodes here, yeah. and we're still growing. We started basically with a with an audience of zero, because we didn't come, we weren't known to the outside world mm. or anything. It's not like Vin's been a uh, movie critic for 30 years, and now we started a podcast, you <laughs> right, know, right. so it's great to see that our numbers kind of grow week after week, or, you know, I mean, even at this point, year after year, mm-hmm. it's excellent to see uh, something that's so huge for us, though, is to get the word out about the show, mm-hmm. you know, it's so huge. If you can just tell a friend, or you hear somebody bitch about Rotten Tomatoes. You hear some guy behind you just can't stand Rotten Tomatoes as we all can't stand it. Hey, get us in the conversation. Like I like to say, that's where we want to be. We want to be in the conversation. So all of you who are enjoying the podcast and uh, really can get something from it, if you could just, just get the word out a little bit. We appreciate that so much. Like I said, if you want to become a producer, it's thedailyratings.com. Any amount you want, it's a value for value model. Okay, Vin, with that, let's keep it going here. We're going to start with our Netflix release. Oh this, is our, this is our newly released film, The Minefield. Let's get into it. It's Leave the World Behind, yeah. by directed by Sam Esmail, mm-hmm. and uh, executive produced by the Obamas. No way. Yeah. Oh, you didn't hear about the. Wait, what? Oh, oh Michelle and Barack are all over this.
1: <laughs> what are you talking Mal- about? is an associate. What?
0: No, that's a joke. But, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Obama's uh, the Obamas executive produced this. Wow. He's getting some heat now, which I think is really <laughs> stupid mm. um, for the content for a movie that he's executing, for a movie that he's producing, and then kind of the overall tones or mm. what's going down in the film. Um, I think that's stupid. I think there's other reasons, maybe to uh, sure, you know, of any producing of this, of just in, as far as how it is the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. But true. I'm tripping
0: over my words a little bit. Let's get into it. Well, uh, this movie's tripping over <laughs> itself. <for laughs> sure. leave, leave the world behind, man. <laughs> uh, how did you like it? Let's set it up a little bit.
1: Well, oh boy, I was really looking forward to this for one, especially because why? Um, uh, ML coming from Mr. Robot, you know, this is his first feature. I've never really dived into Mr. Robot but I definitely respect the writing and and the tone it takes. I enjoyed I enjoyed uh,
0: yeah, I watched season one. Yeah, sure. as I do. Right, uh, right. But loved it.
1: Your your brilliant
0: hot take <laughs> of only watching season one of good shows, which is prophetic. Is, you you have a third eye. I would say only this. I forgot about this until you said it. Oh the yeah, Mr. Yeah. Robot thing. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Robot and uh, Stranger Things. That's yeah, all. <laughs> right. That's all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I and unfortunately, I think Mr. Robot does actually degrade a little bit. Uh, uh, that's what I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, Matt D, uh, our producer, is a huge fan of the show, so he's he, my knowledge. Is mostly coming second hand. Okay, him, so. <laughs> uh,
0: I was. Ex- I will say this. I'll, I was excited for the film. Okay, uh, just for the fact of it's Ethan Hawke. Mm. So we were we were on the Hawk train. The
1: Hawk we were. Train. You know,
0: we were on the Hawk. I'll just think of something uh... for that. We're on the Hawk flight. The Hawk carrier. <laughs> but regardless, we're still we. I, we can talk more about him. I think he might. Ha- he's arrived potentially. What do you? <laughs> You mean arrive? Well, Ethan Hawke has always been just like looked down upon. Oh. He had like one big film or one film that people like him in the early 90s <laughs> and then he's always just people shit on him for being a bad actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I contest that or contend that he is a very, not a very good actor, but I want him to be good. Sure, yeah, I think yeah, he's yeah. got a look, a style, he's, he's from a, Texas. He's, There's something about him that I like.
1: <laughs> the definition of our boy, you know, we have many boys. Yes. But, but this is a bad
0: will. reason. Most of our boys are because they're great at <laughs> acting right. and we enjoy their roles. This
1: one, he's like uh he's like our make a wish boy <laughs> Really rooting for him,
0: but uh, uh, so anyway. So Ethan Hawke, yeah, yeah. Ethan Hawke was in it, but also Ethan Hawke with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah,
1: it. yeah. I played into the meme that uh, uh, even even on a podcast episode, I, I made the mistake of you know, interchanging those two. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, there's a big meme going on. Oftentimes, people get those guys confused, and yeah. it's a big deal to have them on screen. Um, but
1: uh, but this is our second last release uh, from Netflix for the year. Our very last being Zack Snyder's new space epic Rebel Moon, uh, set for later this month. Um, this film looking a lot, uh, a lot more thought-provoking. <laughs> and uh, this largely is because it comes from Sam Esmail. Beyond his work with Mr. Robot, my expectations for this movie was to was that it was going to be at least cerebral. Uh, I didn't know my expectations for how technology was going to be uh, introduced into its uh, kind of social question. Mm-hmm. At first, starting as a, a thriller that is probably some of the best things that can be about a thriller that it adds to a thought-provoking or conversation-provoking after the fact mm-hmm. uh, or even while you're watching this movie of which side of questions you land on. Uh, so I think it did a very good job at that. Uh, and performance as well were good. But I have to be honest, folks, I don't have a lot of interest in talking about this film without spoilers. Uh, it's a serious minefield uh, to get around. I feel like this movie, if my elevator pitch is anything, I feel like this movie is M. Night Shyamalan's wet dream. Uh, hmm. the, the many twists, the events outside of our character's control, and most importantly, the interpersonal drama. In many ways, this is what uh, Knock at the Cabin wishes it could be. An examination of our bias, an examination of misinformation, information poised through a suspicious thriller drama and that really is uh, what leave the world behind is uh, leave the world behind is spotlighting two groups of characters to throw them into an uncomfortable social scenario where tensions are slowly tightened over the runtime our first being a four square family unit seemingly to be satirical in some way i want to say did you get that as well that was kind of poking fun uh, of uh, of this side of the family.
0: Yes, I think maybe uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah, like as far as like the directing, the, the director trying to go somewhere. Uh yeah, like purposely.
1: Yeah, purposely kind of putting them into uh, stereotypical kind of roles. Uh, I guess what I mean by that is, you know, yeah. this 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 family consists of a a kind of a Karen, suspicious mom played by Julia Roberts, a very easygoing kind of stoner academic father played by Ethan Hawke, and two kids fitting into both a zoomer and, and kind of Gen Alpha uh, yeah. demographic. I, I think,
0: yeah, basically, I think to make the movie <laughs> work, um, here are stereotypical roles, mm. and then sometimes the director tries to crank those up to eleven, mm. uh, specifically with Julia Roberts character. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I would say Julia Roberts character. And um, Herschel? Uh his daughter. Oh yes, who plays Ruth? Her name is uh, Myhala. Okay, okay. I would say those two characters are kind of like okay. Let's pick stereotype here. Mm. Let's crank it up when we need to mm. for the sure, film. Sure, sure. I don't know if it hits exactly, but kind of
1: represents the two sides of, of Twitter or, or something like that. So uh,
0: yeah, I just think it's trying to like add more to the film. Mm. I, mean, I mean, Julia Roberts is an outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Julia Roberts is out of control in this film. <laughs> And to the point where it's not believable because it's like, okay, we yeah, know what you're going for. Right. This is this is Julia Roberts. Yeah. A couple notches too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. That would be my thing as far as poking fun at the characters mm. or poking fun at these stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I think it's – he wanted these stereotypes and then sometimes they're cranked up when he wants them to. Sure,
1: right. Uh, that, that definitely uh, hits, on, hits the nail on the head as far as my feelings of the film that it um, – picks and chooses its story logic, which we'll get into in a little bit. This uh, family rents an upscale Airbnb uh, in the middle of the night, the owners of the house mysteriously arrive, asking to stay the night. Uh, this is the second side of the coin, coin which intentionally plays into suspicions. Uh, the abrupt arrival of a of the wealthy father, played by Mahershala Ali, raises questions immediately, and his outspoken dogger juggles shades of being justified and arrogant in their request. Uh, the reason why they are all there is a mysterious blackout seemingly affecting the East Coast, raising even more questions uh, at the worst possible time of this uh, interpersonal debate. There are a few areas that I take issue with this in this film, but like I said, it's it's very much a minefield for spoilers. So I will do my best to kind of illustrate my position here. Because if there's any reason to watch it, it is just for the twists and turns mm-hmm. of where it goes, and you know how much it, the film wants to be like a mic drop. Oh, can you believe
0: this? Yeah, it, can you believe it is heavily? It is. Hev- it <laughs> is hev- I. I it's. I wouldn't even say it's. Mo- it's a lot of thriller. It is heavy, heavy mystery mm. or weird, creepy mystery. So the mm-hmm. problem with talking about it is, you know, it's for the. Pe- it's for the viewers mm. to have that mystery unfold. Yes. So we really have to take yeah. much a ten thousand foot view of this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was originally going to uh, speak about how uh, it's tough because I, I don't always like like whodunits and, and mysteries like that, but I think a good mystery is. Uh, The mark of a good mystery is that you can't summarize it in one sentence. Mm. Uh, But I don't know. I'll I'll leave that on on the shelf for now uh, as far as a a talking point. The mystery does here have to jump through hoops to set up its perfect scenario that, once again, the audience can kind of sit back and choose what side of the question they land on. Early examples of this being uh, something like, uh, do you let these people into the house? Uh, And what are the chances that this is a scam of some sort? Uh, this is also a lot of the dialogue of the, of the Karen you know, uh, portrayal of uh, Julia Roberts' character. Uh, this sets the framework for how the mystery will progress and test these stereotypical roles uh, the characters fall into. And like I mentioned, the main theme to the entire film being a test of bias and misinformation. Uh, what frustrated me was how the logic of the film... Just pick picked and choose what, what exact amount of reality it wants us to consider in order to set the stage. Power and communication devices will work inconsistently, choosing when to play a role in the story either as a red herring misdirect or uh, actually be a breadcrumb for us to pay attention to. Uh, And I I just found this uh, really disappointing when Mm. technology felt like it played such a huge role in the director's previous work. Um, I think Esmail for sure has something he wants to say with this film. Uh, but the tech felt like more like a screenwriting tool rather than a place in the story's world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do, you, do you feel that?
0: Yes. It, it, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Couldn't sum it up any better, I think, than that. You, used as a tool, leading you down a path of thinking that you got to care about it more potentially mm. or something like that. Absolutely. Uh, it doesn't play as much of a role as like a black mirror. Mm. I would say it's what separates itself from a long black – this is not a long Black Mirror episode. <laughs> sure, sure. But close to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the tech is used just to kind of – when he needs it. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. I, you know, that's a great point. Black Mirror is probably even a better or, – or, or a side-by-side comparison to the, the M. Night Shyamalan bit. I guess I feel like it was – it felt like such a <sighs> – Honestly, maybe even a better version of you know what m Night is pumping out <laughs> right, yeah. in his career. It just felt like so directly about let's make a kind of a question provoking thriller, and then something you know wild is happening behind the scenes that it gives us our kind of our mic drop twist and say, "Oh, you believe this? This is shocking!" Right, and then, right. You know leaves a draw drop.
0: As far as as yeah, as far as the, I mean, I was underwhelmed and disappointed almost at every single new turn Mm. Uh, it just the payoff much just like what we talked about with Paris Texas uh, when the payoffs came the payoffs were too weak Mm. in my opinion for Mm -hmm. for most of them if Mm -hmm. he wants to use tech just here there and just sprinkle that in I'm fine with that he sprinkles almost every aspect you can kind of touch he sprinkles in Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be with animals or other things and I would be okay with that uh, if you just gave us a little bit more, if it punched more at mm. every turn that we take.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, if things could be, uh, yeah, it, it's all a little bit surface level. Yeah. And that's what I mean about the stereotypes too. It, they're very stereotypical characters. Mm. And just when he decides to be like, okay, well, let's just have this stereotype do this, this stereotype sure, do this. Sure. It's just like, okay, nothing's grand here mm. whatsoever. I don't know. Well, maybe
1: not, not grand, because I think the movie tries to be grand in, in a lot of ways. It's more so these stereotypes kind of make you expect it is going to be a lot more simple. It doesn't have depth
0: to it, I would say. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I didn't hate this film. Mm. It was just underwhelming. And then by the conclusion, when it ends, I thought it was, was unsatisfying for sure. <laughs> right. And I, And I think back to the whole film, and it's just like, okay, yeah, at every single turn or new twist mm-hmm. – Everything could have been ramped up to make this a more engaging thriller mm, mystery, sure, not sure. so much just like a drama mystery a little bit, yeah, also some mystery thrilling aspects. yeah, yeah uh, just just uh, questions that
1: kind of go nowhere, uh felt like uh, type of questions, you get lost, you know what I mean? Like the TV show Lost. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? Lost did a better job. Th- I mean, this... Yeah. I don't know. I, like, you're not hot on this film at all. No, 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 it's, really it's, not. it's really tough for me to...
1: Yeah, the line for me is that I, I really enjoyed the production of this film. I think this is a well-made film. I think performances are good. I just mm-hmm. really... Didn't love the story, didn't love the mystery, didn't love the questions that were posed. And again, it's just like, it feels like it rides on the coattails of trying to have, like, a really, like, Crazy, like, twist conclusion. Right. That I, I don't know. I, I don't think any films, you know, I'm, 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 uh, we go back to our uh, Knock in the Cabin episode. I'm not really a fan of, like, uh, the M. Night twist, if you will. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, or even 90s movies twists, that where it's, uh, you know, it's obsessed with only the twist. Did you so. feel
0: big twist of this film? Uh,. A little bit. I didn't feel – I wasn't quite waiting for a big twist. Oh, really? I okay. was kind of just waiting for things to unfold in and a And finally cool get some way. answers. Right. Fi- get mm. some answers or, or, okay, let's just see the story continue.
1: Sure, mm, sure. And sure. that's
0: why when the story ends, it's just like, okay, all right. I mean I get why it ends or where it ends. Mm-hmm. I wasn't crazy sh- – I was never shocked with the turn of the story too much. Mm, okay. Interesting. So for me, I wasn't waiting for a true shock value mm. or a true, you know – Waiting for that twist. Yeah, yeah. It was more so like make it cooler, make mm-hmm. it make it actually. <laughs> it was trying to make us care too much, and I couldn't care about it too much. Oh, really? Okay, and that's get. Like, it, it. Just wasn't that grand yeah. at all, at any part. And I think some aspects were cool. I mm-hmm. like the idea of things, mm-hmm. but the way they played out were uh, not worth it. For yeah. Me. Just more boring than what I was hoping they would. Yeah, they would yeah, be. yeah, absolutely. Did you think this was over stylized and trying too hard?
1: Uh, no, I, like I said, I, I think I enjoy the production the most about this. You did, okay. yeah. I think right. this is, uh, if anything, this just shows how much of a prestige-looking director that uh, that uh, it was can, slick. Can, can it was slick out. looking. Yeah. And, and, and folks, again, it, it, maybe apologies for this being so approximate, you know, so general, but uh, it really is a tough film to talk about without spoilers. Um, just, to, just to return a little bit to some of how my, my gripes with the mystery, it feels like the mystery requires only the exact amount of tech to make sense. And for me, it, it just kind of stripped the logic out of the film, stripped the logic out of the story. And mm. like, I, like we've said multiple times now, nevertheless, the film wants you to walk away jaw-dropped from its spectacle, uh, the mic-drop revelation. But personally, it lost, my respect, a good half hour before it rolls the credits. Mm, um, yeah. Despite my gripes with the story, I think performances are excellent across the board. I think every single actor gives a, a pretty good performance. And even the moments that I was annoyed with characters, a perfect example is you know Julie Julia Roberts' routine here. Uh, I wouldn't consider it bad acting. I would still consider it good acting. What do you, what do you think on that?
0: Yeah. Oh no no no. She. I, yeah. Fine. Yeah. She she was fine. I would just feel like it was just too. Unbelievable. Mm. So I'm taking the character in this situation from mm-hmm. thinking that you this think is too cartoonish. If I'm thinking this is real life, mm. yes, this is too cartoonish. Oh, okay. So she was fine at being, I think, what they wanted her to do, mm-hmm. um, but she's just too out of control <laughs> a little bit, like for <laughs> yeah. off the beat. It was pushing us. Towards this is this is a mystery thriller.
1: Mm. You know what I mean?
0: I mean from the get go when uh, Mahershala Mahershala Ali, y- yeah. yes, when he and his daughter shows up, it's from the get go. Treat it like a normal movie first.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It
0: really felt like it was pushing us into no, no, no. This is a big mystery. Something's, this is a big yeah, something's, something's wrong. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 You know, a little spoon fed. <laughs> right, and, and
1: especially when those early moments forced. are kind of irrelevant for ultimately. Yeah, when the story yeah. Goes. It's, just, it's just
0: too forced. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like her character's a little too forced. Acting was was yeah. good all. Around. Around for yeah. sure,
1: I, I would say Mahershala Ali is the highlight here, standing above the rest of the cast, C- just continuing to prove himself as one of the coolest actors. He's so cool right now. Yeah, he is. He's so cool. Uh, um, I think we've both been fans since uh, you know early seasons of House of Cards with Mahershala. Yeah, and uh, here's hoping we get a somewhat acceptable Blade movie out of him in the future. Even though it's probably the fourth time they've stopped and restarted that film. <laughs> so here's hoping for Blade, uh, folks. Uh, I. I I have to be straight up and say I didn't really enjoy this movie. I think its twist can be, once again, thought provoking, conversation provoking, uh, especially watch it with a group uh, if you're interested. I think that that's where this movie kind of lives and dies. But uh, the mystery felt less like a puzzle and more like a prescribed conclusion, regardless mm. of what happened in the runtime. However, it is a film I need to recognize as somewhat decent because uh, I think for some audiences, this might be. This This might hit for certain audiences as one of the best of the year. The the audiences that love You think so? Yeah, the audiences that want, like, whoa, the the, the mind blow uh, of a movie. I think for sci-fi fans, this hits uh, around its kind of, like, dark predictions of future human nature that have like this non-zero chance of coming true uh, and it could really hit especially if you love near future stories and mm-hmm. I think that's where Esmail's um, approach to technology is, 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 is somewhat interesting and you know he, he's an interesting writer in that space and I 100% like I've said now multiple times if you enjoy M. Night Shyamalan or maybe even Jordan Peele uh, as far as their work yeah. and, and yeah. how much of a mind trip it can be that specific quality I think this is uh, potentially 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 a good watch for you as well. I just wish I was able to turn off my analytic brain a little bit more to just enjoy the ride with this film because I feel like (laughs) I was, this was another one where it's just like, man. I was watching this unfold, and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to work. <laughs> you
0: know, <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: This is, this is like, I have to now tread carefully to avoid spoilers. How do I position, you know? The, you know? So uh, I just wish I was able to just kind of enjoy the ride a little <laughs> bit more on this and enjoy that spectacle. So we're going to go ahead and give Leave the World Behind a
0: 62. Okay, 62. You think that's appropriate? Oh, absolutely.
1: For the production elements and yeah, everything. Yeah, I mean, the production
0: okay. were cool. I will say, I, I kind of felt like maybe he was trying too hard, always trying with the cool shots mm, and things like that. Sure, sure. What I really like it well, it's a crisp and clean looking film. Yeah, very slick. What I really like is his. Um, what he did with colors. Mm. So blue is a very large film. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Blue is a very large theme, mm-hmm. and the way he throws blues in there for sure. Reds in certain scenarios where mm. reds thrown in. Mm-hmm. I like what he does with colors a lot. I thought that was there was a um, in, intelligence yeah. to, to that that I really liked.
1: Yeah, a design to it, uh, purposeful.
0: Yes, I would say. You know, I, I don't think we differ too much. I mean, I'm glad I could I could just circle around the drain on this one just with you. <laughs> <It starts laughs> gen, general, speaking yeah, I'm really glad we're on the
1: same page with this
0: one. But I would say our differences really are what was the disappointment so okay. in the tech thing it really wasn't even a thought of mine saying that this was disappoint oh was okay. disappointing uh, i was more so upset with again it leading to things or it trying to be bigger than it actually was mm. and every time that turn came or that twist came i was expecting more because mm. i felt like it was trying to be bigger better, more intense more thrilling more of a mystery mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so f- finally when we got to things it was just like Okay, that's the logical next step in this film Mm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, you know, it's two hours and eighteen minutes. I thought it didn't feel overly long. Surprisingly, it didn't feel overly long. That's true. I just wish in that runtime there could have been more. Just give me more. True. Um, And that's pretty much it. I'm not gonna give it to Tommy Two Shoes. I don't care too much. I'm sorry. We can't be filling up the site with Tommy (laughs) Two Shoes. Otherwise, we're gonna have to change the whole name of the podcast. It's getting that just doesn't work. Our own technicalities around Tommy Two Shoes. I just didn't we care. We can enough. do whatever we goddamn want. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point of no sponsors. Um, I like your sixty-two percent. I will say that. Okay, yeah, th-
1: that's that's what I'm looking for as, as far as uh, where you position yourself with the what would be a Tommy Two Shoes, right? You know,
0: you know, from the director. It's funny. Just the tech stuff just wasn't on my mind too much, even coming Wait. from a Mr. Robot, which again I love that first season of Mr. Robot.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I guess it was just like in in the early questions of trying to verify identity and whatnot Mm, like that. mm -hmm. I just feel like, for me, I'm not gonna, you know, I I can't break it down, but it felt like tech was super inconsistent on what was working when, when it, like, when the writing needed it to play a role, and then when it would logically play a role, but then was not working anymore. You know Mm -hmm, what I mean? mm -hmm. And it was just like... I don't know. This feels like it it's it's a it's definitely a ride, uh, but not a ride that is um is avoiding a single track. It, that's why I say like the conclusion feels prescribed. It's going to happen regardless of all this, you know, for sure. talking through the film. So. Which is
0: why I think if like you said um for the, who this might be an audience for? Because mm-hmm. 62% that kind of just says it does say that. It's yeah. probably for some people. Yeah, yeah. Um if you're into the things like you talked about as well. Also, if you just want a a slick Crisp, um, good-looking new film mm, had yep. on the background, or just an easy watch or something like that. Absolutely, you know, put down the murder- prestige
1: cast. You know,
0: exactly. Yep. It, it's something at least.
1: Yeah, okay. Kevin Bacon and Ethan Hawke in one spot. They make a joke about it in the film as well. Uh, Julia Roberts. Do. Julia Roberts mistakes Kevin Bacon for her husband. She doesn't. But
0: you told me that before I watched it. <laughs> She did it. She just looks at Kevin Bacon. No, she's like, oh, I thought you were, you know. She doesn't say that. She doesn't? No. Oh, okay. All, she literally just looks at him. <laughs> oh, that's it? It does a double take.
1: I must have been, like, freaking out you when it was me. happening. You told me.
0: She like, oh, she even says it. She's even just like, are you my husband? I'm waiting for this line, and I never get
1: the line. The, the line was was headcanon on my yeah. end.
0: Uh, <laughs> Ethan Hawke was good. I'll make one more comment. I think he's arrived. <laughs> and i'll it. say i'll I love say it this, again that this is the hot take ethan hawk has arrived <laughs> he's like what is he 60 like <laughs> i know he's in his 50s i'm pretty sure but you know what i mean i'm always rooting for the guy uh, sure listen if and we, that, i mean he's in the-, in the in
1: 2024 if we really want to give ethan hawk a, a, a shot he has that trilogy or four movies uh that it's just like straight romance it's like before sunset after sunset
0: He's yada already yada. done some of them, or is he starting? Oh this? no,
1: it's done. It's uh, and it's it's uh, it's the tale of uh, of a romance over like three
0: movies. It's like a trilogy romance. And are they gonna pump out like boom, boom, like? Uh, I are
1: they mm. already came out. I don't know too much about oh, it. but Two appar- already
0: came out. One. The no, last... it's
1: all out. It, they were like early two thousands. Oh, that they came so we
0: don't know. Out. Well, yeah,
1: but no. Apparently, that's where like that. Those are his moments. Uh, in, okay. Uh, in movies, so maybe we can we can we can do a well, little. Well,
0: we thing. know it wasn't the Devil May Cry. <laughs> which was very unfortunate for that director and everybody else involved in Oh, wait, in that no,
1: no. Uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I oh, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. an yeah, yeah. uh, infinitely <laughs> worse
0: title. <laughs> he was in, um, he was the best, you know that terrible, terrible Magnificent Seven remake? Oh, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With uh, What's-His-Face? I
1: walked out of that movie. One of the few movies really? I walked out of, yeah.
0: Who was the main Denzel.
1: Denzel. Well, the and, director
0: was also the freaking, um, who hit the Equalizer director. Yes,
1: yes, that's right. Denzel,
0: that's right. Chris Pratt. Yeah. The best part of that film, Ethan Hawke. <laughs> he's like the one only good thing in that the, the film. The saving Ethan grace. Regardless, of the, regardless anyway, of the magnificent the, seven remake. No one was asking Ethan, for Ethan. We're pulling for you. You know, anyway. Let's keep. <laughs> he's sp- arrived, folks. He's <laughs> arrived. Put it on t-shirts. I just think he's proven himself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on here. That's sixty two percent for "Leave the World Behind." Uh, we hope that was helpful. That <laughs> yeah, review. Yeah, hopefully,
1: I don't know. Yeah, uh, writing if that was legible at all, <laughs> if, if that actually helped you
0: decide I I if you wanted helped. to watch. I, I really just didn't make. I didn't help anything.
1: Uh, it's just another one I sat down to write. I was just like, son of a
0: bitch. I don't. <laughs> I will say, I'm happy I watched it. Yeah. Okay. You know, I am happy I, I saw it. Sure. So I don't know, and it is getting some buzz. The, the the Obama thing is part of the buzz.
1: Well, that's so weird. I I can't believe I did not catch this. And I can uh, talk.
0: We'll talk more off air. Sure. But basically, the reason why he's getting shit, kind of, because of like the tone. I get sense, but his pitch is people looking for an ex- oh, I looking ca- for an excuse.
1: Sure, sure. They're looking for mud to
0: throw online. You know. Yes. So I would say just for other reasons, It was just like, you know, this, when, this when is your actual- big fail. This is your, wow. They're finally. Exam- I mean, it's always been talked. The- They've got all kinds of deals going, and this is f- finally one of the first big productions that mm. they're attached to. Also,
1: probably fiction productions yeah. as well, other than like documentaries and stuff. I
0: way. wonder if they were in charge of the music choices, too. I have some music choice oh, really? issues. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah I I mean, guess how about it that was... scene where Julie Roberts is oh, dancing? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Good time. I think I said out loud. I said, oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, folks. All right, so let's keep it going here. Uh, this is, uh, like, a, these are all new release here. This is an in-theater watch. This is called Eileen, uh, directed by William Oldroyd. This is, I think, big performance-backed film.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, I was
0: a little bit in the dark on this film, too. I wasn't even really sure about it until you uh, brought it up. And I was like, what, what is this? Another yeah. new film? There's just so much going on. Mm-hmm. So why don't you get into it and tell us what is Eileen, mm-hmm. who is Eileen, And uh, how'd you like it? Sure, sure. Well, I I really did love this movie. Uh,
1: And and right there with you, Tom, I was not on my radar until recently and and just kind of trying to tackle everything coming out in December. Um, I have no experience with our director or writers. I can't really call William Oldroy uh, a, a new director, but he has limited work that... You would, you know, folks at home, you would stumble across them, myself included. This film is based off the award-winning 2015 novel by the same name, and by a writer I do not have the balls to try to pronounce. Tom, would you like to give this a shot?
0: Moshfeg? that
1: one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's it sounds like a, a bad word.
0: <laughs> O-tessa, Otessa Moshfeg. Yeah, it is uh, a,
1: <laughs> a tough name, but uh, I really did, uh, you know. Jokes aside, I I was really happy to cover this film. Uh, this was surprisingly good, feeling like a great throwback to Hitchcock-era thrillers. The type of thriller, an uh, 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 older fashion type of thriller, where the movie is about pulling you in and almost... To the point that you get pulled in until it's kind of too late. It's uh, It feels messy to then see where characters go. And it's like, well, I mean, writing was on the wall, but uh, was was really a
0: great movie. I, I enjoyed okay. this movie a lot. I will say I'm glad that we're pairing this back-to-back from Leave the World Behind. They're both billed as mystery thrillers. Mm, okay, uh, and it so could right not be well, yeah, further,
1: <laughs> further apart. Right off
0: the bat, it's seeming like, you know, that's good that this is actually uh, – Uh, grasping you in a way yeah yeah absolutely Uh,
1: eileen is titled after our main character uh, played by thomasin mckenzie Uh, first time seeing her on the podcast since the slick horror last night in soho from uh, our boy edgar wright boy oh boy is this much much darker as a film as well Uh, eileen lacks the traditional charm expected of her she works in a prison She has a washed-up alcoholic father and uh, trouble navigating any romance um, with a little bit of a dirty mind that kind of, you know, shoots her out of the gate. Uh, To quote the film, a a a take-a-penny-leave-a-penny girl, a harsh line no less said by her boisterous father as he reflects on his spotty police days. Worst of all, Eileen exists in a type of depressive fog that makes her quickly and dangerously latch on to Anne Hathaway's character, the new psychologist at the prison. Uh, I think one of my favorite qualities is that this film juggles Hathaway as being almost an emotional and intellectual predator. Eileen is, is 24 in this, so it's not like a, like a pedophilia or anything like that, but she is such a, a... She has such worldly confidence being transplanted into this like dead-end Massachusetts town mm-hmm. that when it comes to her role she just she just owns every scene and not only are we drawn into that Eileen as well is, is dangerously and quickly and uh, passionately drawn into that personality. Uh, the town is kind of the focus, though. It lives in a fog, just like Eileen. And uh, while this will bring out many poor qualities in the characters that we see on screen, it will bring out a sinister turn when she stalks her prey, Eileen herself. If it is not apparent yet, I would definitely describe this film as a noir, but maybe not for the usual features you might expect. On the surface, the film is extremely dark in its depiction of characters, has this uh, late 50s, early 60s vibe, jazz soundtrack, uh, and if anything, (laughs) might be a a counter pairing with If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, Not as good, but still, you know, still in that noir feel, uh, untraditional noir. Uh, when it comes down to it, what's deeper there is just how it's named after our main character, mm-hmm. just how this feels, not Oscar Beatty, but a single platform for Mackenzie's performance. Yeah.
0: Seems uh, like Oscar- Anne Hathaway as well.
1: Uh, yes. I wish she was just in it more. Uh, oh, she's, okay, she's, uh, right. kind of, dis- you know, I-, I loved her in this, mm-hmm. just disappointingly not in it enough uh, because the focus is really a- around Aileen. Uh, when when it comes to it, uh these these noir themes, it's about testing the character's ethics in some way. Just how when you watch an old detective story like that, it's kind of testing how far is this hard-boiled guy mm. going to go. Mm-hmm. In just the same way, we're testing the ethics of this middle-of-nowhere kind of nothing-nobody. Uh, and seeing what they do under pressure. Uh, That setting intentionally spits at uh, the white picket fence of early 60s suburbia, uh, being very nasty and hard-boiled. And while it may seem like everyone is content with being that uh, nothing nobody, the story tries to show us that everyone is just looking for an opportunity to lash out. This is not very an optimistic (laughs) view. (laughs) Uh, This is... uh, a, a dark, uh, a dark expectation of what uh, people are capable of. Like I said, I, I like uh, you know evil things. <laughs> I like movies that make me feel bad, and and, and this movie was just. oozing style in that regard and follow
0: through so this is very much like you said this is film is focused on this one performance this character of Eileen Mm -hmm. what do we see her doing like it's you said it's also very town oriented she's Mm. in the prison things like that what are we watching her do what are we along the ride with her just every her her day to day a day in the life Um, of Eileen maybe not a
1: day in the life because it is focused I I think it's good writing in the sense that this is the most important moment in uh, uh, Eileen's life okay gotcha Okay. Um, it's not just uh, kind of languishing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It, it has a purpose. We are uh, d-
0: we're driving towards something. Exactly. Okay.
1: Early in the film, it's focused more about kind of setting the stage of what creates her mentality mm-hmm. her alcoholic father being very emotionally and verbally abusive uh, That the town uh, the setting of this kind of youth prison uh, messing with her psychologically sure. uh, her sexual and romantic desires as well as kind of at the age of 24 feeling a little bit like her time is up almost uh, a little bit. So uh, that is the focus of the early film, basically until Hathaway gets introduced. Then it's this like... Again, Hitchcock, mm-hmm. uh, almost dangerous romance but, to it, right. femme fatale. Kind but of we
0: stuff. are driving toward. The, but, yeah, we're driving toward something. Yes. It is not something of just of we are walking in a day in the life of this person no, that no. happens to be things going on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
1: Uh, and that slippery slope is very apparent by the end. And I would say a lot of why I enjoy this film so much is that it had a kind of a retroactive effect that. You, you sit with the ending, and then it's like, oh, so much stuff falls into place. The dominoes all slip into place. Okay. So,
0: oh, interesting. Okay.
1: A little bit more about that tone, though. Noir, I feel, is largely about mood most of all. It's how we how we kind of uh, say it in a, in a gut check of what's noir and what's not. I think the soundtrack was a really really strong at creating this unique atmosphere as well. Uh, Richard Reed Perry, uh, once again, no experience with. Uh, has a storytelling aspect to his jazz pieces here. While watching it, uh, I purely just enjoyed it for the style, but listening after, the tracks all hint at the darker spin that plays out on screen you know honestly it might be a tall order but if you do watch this film folks which i will recommend for my recommendation is to check out the soundtrack after the fact uh, i know that's that might be a tall order for some but it really i can't explain how much it enriched my experience um and at least listening to the track leaving all the way through will kind of show you that these motifs uh the the soundtrack throughout the entire film is always hinting at this darker spin. And I just really had a huge appreciation for it. Really excellent soundtrack. Wow. So, okay. Okay. Um, uh, again, Richard Reed Perry, uh, the director, the writer, no experience with. So this was a shot in the dark and. Uh, maybe that plays a little bit into being surprised by it and 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 that and that's playing into my positive reception of it but i really think it was
0: uh, excellently executed it yeah it, it was... the film's being talked about a little bit because mm-hmm. of the performances yep. i know anne hathaway's probably going to a lot of going to get a lot of uh yeah, love really for great supporting actress yeah.
1: and stunning as well
0: but you know it this film is hitting on all these marks i just wish that these these are the films we were hearing about more you yeah. know what i mean I wish we were hearing about this for months, but maybe could have some financial success. Sure, sure. Uh, Which is very difficult to come by now.
1: Neon uh, distributes it. Um,
0: Of course, uh, last year, Neon's big
1: release was with uh, with Cronenberg for Crimes of the Future. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe Neon is just like... There's not enough space in the A twenty four, you know, juggernaut uh, for uh, uh, Neon to kind of fit in a in a in a dark market, in a kind of a twisted story market uh, of the of the films coming out.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think there's this revival because it's so difficult to make money now. Mm-hmm. Even like blockbusters, it's it's either a hit or not a hit at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, there's not much breaking even going on. Yes, you're either yeah. losing your ass or you're making a whole lot. Yeah. But there's there's been this birth of like this thirty million dollar budget, forty million dollar budget. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that's been going on. Even less in the horror it's, space. It's a yeah. lot easier to kind of um get something going there. Yeah. And there's some bigger studios that are pushing this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I like that because that could be we can go back to kind of nineties, early two thousands mm. when you could have these smaller stories can be financially successful and we actually care about this Mm, stuff, you know what I mean? But can actually make money. We won't go into it too much more, but just like, you know, once when DVDs went away, Mm. you need to make your. That's why blockbusters became so huge Mm. because that's how you have to make your money. Sure, shifts in the market. But now it seems like there's this other focus and more of a drive towards these smaller films. I just wish they got presented to people more. Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, uh, something like this would be lost in the shuffle until it hits streaming and then probably lost in the shuffle on streaming as well. Right. So Um,
0: not to take a huge tangent towards that, kind of stuff Mm. but it seems like you're legitimately quite like this film
1: oh yeah i I thought this was great you hit the nail on the head Uh, this is also in kind of uh, film history this is what we see happening in the 70s uh and and what produced you know basically directors shaking things up right like a lucas you know
0: Mm -hmm, definitely Uh,
1: or like a scorsese so did you have trouble
0: seeing this film
1: no, but I didn't expect it to have as big of a release as it did, especially when I've been looking for poor things uh, with Emma Stone mm-hmm. all all month. And it's like, uh, uh, where is it? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Mackenzie's role is really – Deserved of a Best Actress nomination. I really enjoyed how much she was able to transform her usual soft-spoken mousiness, and I don't mean that as an insult. But she's, you know, she's sure. a she's a you know a tiny girl into something twisted and something dark. This movie feels good. How the first opening inciting incident of psycho feels good that's how i want to position this film Uh, plus as much as i love some supporting roles especially anne hathaway the movie is such a spotlight and platform for mckenzie directly that she gets to bake so much into the performance uh i mean she it's the title character title of the film and for that reason I mean, it may just felt like a good platform movie to show the development of an actor and actress and Mackenzie I think is is well deserved of a nod here for uh, on the actress front um mostly Excellent. because i don't know we're uh, cats out of the bag we're of course you know kind of prepping for um Tom Danley's i don't know who's in the running on the actress front of course Margot Robbie going uh, to see uh, it, Margot. Uh, uh in Barbie but um yeah, it's tough. So I think I think that once again this movie was refreshing in that regard. That's good. Uh, hey,
0: that all in for more great young Mm. up-and-comer female actresses. Yeah, yeah that goes I back mean, to... For the male side, too, but it, yeah. more. Give us more.
1: Absolutely. And it uh, uh, goes back to conversations we had way long ago now on the podcast of uh, where are our, you know, big, big stars, you know,
0: coming uh, yeah, up. Yeah, we so. always go back to uh, Florence Pugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know? And it, she's, in, she's in Boy in the Heron, yeah. so we'll get to it <laughs> in a second. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the, the pieces of this film might not sound groundbreaking. It might not have um, a, a marketable energy Uh, Maybe maybe that's what Neon realized as well in the distribution of it, but uh, I was in love watching this. Once again, this week my critique uh, boils down to it is all in the execution. This movie felt like a psychological yarn ball that as it unravels it becomes messier and messier until it is out of control. Uh, I'll be honest, folks, I might catch flack whenever I have to actually cover some Hitch- some real Hitchcock movies <laughs> for some maybe some hot takes I have. But this movie felt like a wonderful take on an old-fashioned thriller with teeth for the modern day. We're going to go ahead and give Eileen
0: a 78. 78, a great score. It's always good to be in the high seventies. That's, that's a very good movie when you're at seventy eight. Absolutely. Wow, Eileen, I can't even I can't even find how many theaters it's actually in, which I can <laughs> usually find pretty easily. Yeah. So, uh, Eileen, hey, if you guys are interested in something like that, it sounds like a great mystery thriller. Oh, honestly, yeah. really good. It sounds fantastic.
1: Dark in all the right ways. It was great.
0: And r- writing good and mm. acting good. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, wow. Okay. I like that. I'm trying to think. By the way, the composer who you Really liked, obviously, like the music in the film. He's also the lead composer for The Iron Claw. Uh, oh, and, yeah. coming out next month, wow. basically, 2024. Yeah, That's that some excitement. So we'll see what uh, how that is behind it. But yeah. uh, also, I was thinking double header maybe for this film? <laughs> okay. Are you hit me with it? <laughs> okay. Um, Winner's Bone with the young Jennifer Lawrence.
1: Oh, uh, is it Winner's Bone? Yes. Is it? No, that's I double-checked it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I always forget. I, oh, I thought it was Wind River. Is the
0: Wind River is the other one by Taylor Sheridan. Oh, okay, okay. With uh, the Olsen girl. Yes, yes, yes. And Jeremy Renner. No, yep. uh, Winner's Bone is the Jennifer Lawrence when she's I, younger. I don't know if I've seen this, actually. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's surprising.
1: Okay. Cuz well,
0: cuz that- this is what this is also like, oh, this watch out for this chick. Her her chops oh, are there. Really? She's not yet. Yeah, it's not like, oh, she's just a she's just a face to be in this huge mm. franchise yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. uh Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she came out with this and this did pretty well, but kind of a dark cloud of a story mm. a bit, but very young female driven performance essentially mm-hmm, is what mm-hmm. is what you're watching for. But okay, we'll just have to lay it down on the table. Yeah, yeah I'll t- I'll t- you pick that back up. I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> that wild
1: stab of me understanding this movie, you understanding the other movie. <laughs> but that what is a doubleheader if not uh, a little bit of a hot take in itself? <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. 78 for Eileen, folks. Let's keep it moving here. So this is the big movie of the week. This was number one at the box office. Very weak box office this weekend, so Mm. uh, nothing too great, but this is still a big deal. This is The Boy and the Heron, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. This is out of Studio Ghibli, which we can definitely get into a little bit. Mm, this mm. is the first time he ever got uh, number one at the opening weekend mm-hmm. in the U.S. Oh wow! Okay. This is getting a lot of U.S. recognition and being pushed out a decent amu- yeah. amount as far as marketing goes. Oh, for sure. Uh, studio Ghibli, massive animation studio from Japan. Mm. Uh, five of the best t- of the top ten selling animated films in Japan. I can five imagine. of them alone come from Studio Ghibli. I can imagine. Uh, this was started by. Uh, Miyazaki had started Studio Ghibli in 85, along with two other. Yes. Another director and a producer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Very well regarded as far as animation goes. The guy has a rich history as far as animation in general. Mm-hmm. And then Studio Ghibli starts in 85, and then just making some of the best films that there are. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you have a huge amount of love for Studio Ghibli, much more yes. than me. Uh, I am adjacent because of my friend group, essentially, <laughs> Why <while> I even <laughs> know Studio Ghibli.
1: Otherwise, it wouldn't be on your radar. So I'm
0: definitely gonna put the you know pass that ping pong back to you now. (laughs) Uh, Don't
1: cut yourself short. You have some some uh, aggressive anime watches. Don't uh, if you need to earn some anime cred, you watch Paprika, which is Satoshi Kon, and like it's some serious shit. Paprika and (laughs) Bakano. Bacchano, you can cut from okay. that. Bacchano, I don't know if even a modern anime watcher would
0: ever recognize the name Bacano. And I was a Trigun fan. Yeah, growing Trigun's up a little bit. good. And Dragon Ball, because that's what was on American television. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, regardless, this is the boy in the hair run. Uh yep. Miyazaki is 82 years old, so even though I understand that your big bugaboo is, he's constantly saying, mm. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Since 97. Then he gets back into the game. Some of his best performing films uh, have been... Post-97, too, yes. funny enough.
1: very true, very true. Um,
0: but we know we know Studio Ghibli. We know Miyazaki, much from Howl's Moving Castle. Princess Mononoke. Yep. From, Spirited uh, Away. Spirited Away was a big one. Kiki's Delivery Service. Sure. Porco What's it? Porco Rosso? Porco Rosso. Yeah, you get a little uh.
1: bit more obscure. That's good.
0: <laughs> I'm liking it. He's <laughs> <laughs> read right up, folks. I wasn't even reading off Wikipedia. <laughs> but uh, anyway, a big-time director. He's in the heart's... Of many many people, yes. So especially in Japan, but more and more in the States as well. Yeah. So. If
1: there, w- uh, if, let me let me put it this way. I mean, last week I, I explained him as like kind of the uh, Scorsese of anime. Uh, if there was a Mount Rushmore of anime directors, Miyazaki would be uh, without a doubt, uh, yeah. on there.
0: So so let's get into it right away. This is the Boy and the Heron. Like I said, I saw it as well. You saw it. Mm. Um, how did we like this latest film? Uh,
1: well, let me start with saying uh, this has been a dynamite year for anime. I mean, 2023 can be... Seen as the year of horror, uh, seen as the year of of action, even, uh, and seen as a year for animation for mix of good and bad. But I feel like, as far as quality goes, animation mm. might come out on king. We have Spider Verse coming out this year in this anime space. Both Blue Giant and Suzume, great movies, and how even the Ninja Turtles movie uh, could. Oh, yeah,
0: you could kind of like that. Yeah, you
1: know, it, it could. All of them could easily be top animations for the year if in like a bubble. Mm. Or Uh, you know, in their own realm. But uh, here comes Hayao Miyazaki, out of retirement once again, and uh, by the looks of things, was going to have a killer film on his hands. I'm happy to say The Boy and the Heron is worth your time, much how many of Studio Ghibli's works rarely dip below a certain mark of quality. Mm. Uh, I feel like that's why the studio is so legendary, because you could honestly... Uh, almost choose any film that they've done. And it's going to have uh, such a degree of heart and quality yeah, to yeah. its animation and care and detail that it's, it, it never really dips below a certain degree. But for those looking for one last masterpiece from Miyazaki, myself included... Uh I gotta say this film sadly falls a bit short in areas. Uh okay. uh I did not uh I, I it does it dip below to where like Disney and Pixar have dipped with like Elemental and Wish this
0: year? <laughs> Nowhere close. Strange Worlds last year, light sure. year from last right, year. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So I feel like we're far away from um, uh, from putting that in even in the same ring, uh, but uh, I feel like for the expectations of this film uh, and even how it was positioned with such a prestige cast and, and its marketing as Miyazaki's last, you know, emotional journey, oh, yeah. oh, big time. Uh, I feel like it, it really did fall short in, in, in a fair amount of areas. Wow, uh, so, okay, well, and and that's coming from you know number one fanboy
0: over here. No, like, for sure, for sure. Yeah,
1: so I have to say that the return of Papa Miyazaki after so many retirements uh, dulls what I love about his previous uh, quote unquote last film 2013's must watch The Wind Rises part of why I love that movie so much is the story felt like it perfectly echoed the mindset of its creator serving as a reflective narrative on what it takes to capture greatness and the fleeting effort of just trying to keep it Hell, depending on where Ghibli films rank for you, I could imagine a similar feeling with 1997's Princess Mononoke, had similar hype that he was going to be done and retired uh, from filmmaking, <laughs> and the Oscar-winning 2001 Spirited Away, uh, both hyped up to be his last film as well. And uh, I feel like all three of those films serve... All three of those films are enriched by the idea of like, wow, he's he's really trying to tell something special here. And right. Get it because all because we think it's his last
0: one. Right. I'll tell you what, it is crazy to think that he was he was toying with his last film <laughs> idea since 1997. I mean, 26 years ago, right. really. Right. And we'll go through since 97. Let me just go through the films. Sure. Princess, Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, yeah, a re- uh, Arietti Arietti mm-hmm. uh from up on Poppy hill, yep, the wind rises and the boy and the heron now. So many of those films are huge, massive, mm, yes. and you love. I mean, so from many, Princess Mononoke. You love must watches. I know you yeah. love Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle. Those three you love. Yeah. Ponyo, not as hot on, but you liked.
1: Sure, absolutely, um, and a lot of
0: people like that yeah, one as yeah. well. And then The Wind Rises, of course, you absolutely. Uh,
1: I, I think uh, I'm, I may be in the outlier on this. No, I'm absolutely in the outlier on this, uh, just because <laughs> it's not as fantastical. But I really do think Wind Rises is my favorite film of his, which
0: is a, so that's it's very. I don't know. It, it, it surprises me for mm. some reason, but, mm. uh, I mean, I love that. It's, yeah. And this is his next That came out in 2013. Yep. Uh, announced retirement. And yep. then in 2017, I mean, it's only like a four-year mm. gap. Mm-hmm. In 2017, it was announced he's coming back for one more film. Mm. So yep. for six years, we had been kind of waiting for this, sure. this film. Originally, it was announced to come out in the summer. Got pushed back. Yep. And, um, and, and here we are. So were you surprised sitting there? How quickly, with the film un- unfolding, uh, did you find yourself – Feeling mm, oh, this is lacking. I don't know, or not I'm, feeling. Should
1: yeah. I say? <laughs> I don't know how much of a hot take I want to uh, want to do. I don't know. I, that's a that's a tough question. Uh, was in the first
0: act. Uh, you were starting it, to get reservations. It, it was.
1: Yeah. It, 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 honestly, the mark for me is it was seeing some um, uh, some shortcuts taken in the animation with some three D CGI. Uh, the uh, the inciting incident when you see uh, the firebombing of uh, of Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, a topic that he has covered before in the past with Great of Fireflies*. It is, uh, let me tell you, I mean, breathtaking animation and then – Moments after we see some corners cut with uh, CGI and, like, luggage and uh, some of the creatures as well, which okay. just is is not part of uh, Ghibli's pedigree for me. Uh, I think Ghibli is about hand-drawn animation and blowing your mind with that hand-drawn animation. Right. Uh, with its crazy concepts and folklore and mysticism.
0: And where it can, yeah, where it can go, where yeah, it can take you.
1: Exactly. So I, I think it's maybe unfair to say, like, I had... This you know, I had it called. I had it pinned. Early sure, on. yeah, yeah. Uh, also, you know, it, it, that that's not what the movie's about. I I think a lot of the discussion online in this movie is that the story is a little bit un- incomprehensible hmm. uh, and doesn't tie itself as strongly uh, to characters and the main story. Uh, but it's more about a feeling that you walk away with, Mm -hmm. a resolve you walk away with, which I can get behind.
0: Okay. So So I guess what we should – we we didn't set up the film yet, so I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll let you roll with it. Uh, Right, right. And then I'll have some opinions as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. So with that in mind, I I suppose my issue is that this new movie – Comparatively doesn't have much to say, uh, which I don't want to knock this film for what it can be or whatnot But The Boy and the Heron in a lot of ways feels like a rehash of the wonder and folklore we see in films like Spirited Away With more of a focus on the mystery than symbolism or just like crazy, crazy designs on screen In the story we follow a boy named Mahito Uh, who loses his mother during the war and is forced to stay at a family estate while right in smack dab in the middle of his grieving. Uh, The estate has a supernatural event surrounded to it, seen only by his family bloodline. This leads a mischievous heron to harass Mahito, taunting him with the possibility his mother might still be alive. Uh, They both stumble into a reality where the line between life and death blur, helping this young boy come to terms with moving on. I would say the initial ramp-up introducing the fantasy elements are fairly slow. Uh, and nowhere near to the jump in the deep end. Most of these films can be. Uh, I, I think for some reasons that can be a positive for all the mainstream attention this is getting. Yeah. This is not going to freak people out uh, like so much anime does, <laughs> and so much, <laughs> so much of a turnoff for mainstream audiences with anime. So that's a, that's a slight positive. The themes of grieving and sadness are mixed with the excitement of discovering this hidden world his family has access to. Though I believe that these. Two threads; they felt disjointed. Uh, the mystery of the hidden world has a whole story to tell around the creatures that inhabit it, how it exists, uh, and, and you know, uh, and even its own conclusion of what happens to this hidden world. But for large stretches of the runtime, it's not clear how it really concerns Mahito. Mm-hmm. It's not really also clear how it concerns, you know, his grieving process to it. Right, and that's where I felt even after those opening moments, I was like. Oh, I, I, I kind of see where this is, <laughs> you know, I kind of <laughs> see where this is positioning itself for me. Uh, the discussion online, like I said, is around that while the story's mix with its fantasy is a little comp- incomprehensible or it's a little muddy, it, it's more about the feeling that you you take away. From it, uh, I can get behind that, and honestly speaking, that's kind of every Ghibli movie as well. So that's the the mm-hmm. again the yeah. mark uh, the 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 floor that it doesn't dip below as far as the score goes, and mm-hmm. as far as my reception of this that's
0: a film. good note. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, how did uh, on that disjointed note? How did you feel, uh, especially as a, a fairly new watcher of this? Did the fantasy elements make sense to you? Did you feel it had cohesion?
0: Yes. Um, I felt like it had cohesion for the entire reason that um, I thought is what at times can make a great anime, which is the fantasy elements. Mm. So it's fantastical fantasy, I would kind of put it as. Mm. And in a way, that's that's kind of why I'm there. Mm. You know what I mean? I know, like, you know. It takes something like we just mentioned, like a paprika, sure. which is super oh, right. animated. That's deep end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastical <laughs> that's, fantasy. That's diving zone. <laughs> but I know where these films can go, especially for for Ghibli yeah. can go. So I just feel like it comes with the territory. Mm. And I was surprised with kind of how long it took us to get into that yes. zone. Yeah. So we're definitely dealing with not at all and then very much in mm. these fantastical fantasy elements mm. kind of. I, I did kind of have a question for you. So sure. just like how the movie starts, especially kind of that first act in – it's great for a wider, more international audience because mm. it doesn't throw you in the deep end right away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, you know people won't be freaked out as sometimes it can do. The problem is, is it too boring where it's too slow to keep people in?
1: Sure, and, and, that's
0: and, wh- and okay, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's where I feel like there's there's a little bit of a dis- disjointed quality that once we get into knee deep, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, or, or waist deep into the 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 wild fantasy world that he he stumbles into that this it's like this uh, life and death mixed reality when it comes down to that i it it didn't feel like the ramp up was leading towards that yeah yeah uh, it didn't feel like i uh, i don't know when we were in it it was just such a divide that that was the story go uh, you know prior mm-hmm. to what we're dealing with this is our character mahito but once we get into that fantasy world, it's its own thing, yeah, and it has and its sh- own conclusion. So,
0: and the, right, this is what I was thinking, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you, you know, Ghibli like the back of your hand. Mm-hmm. So, for me, even being one of those kind of novice viewers coming mm-hmm. to this, which a lot of people are going to be new sure. to G- Ghibli, kind of seeing this, sure. it's I would say stick it out, yeah. Like it, the problem is is. By the time it gets into those fantastical elements, mm-hmm. that buildup was kind of so slow. Yeah, yeah. And you think it was just reading leading to somewhere kind of generic or a story that you can't really care too much about. Yeah, yeah. It's tough then to be pushed mm-hmm. into that element of oh, this is this is true. This is right, heavy yeah. hitter Ghibli. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff on screen does take you to a certain place. Yeah. But when you start from that area, when mm-hmm. you start with such a slow ramp up, mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting it, because <laughs> yeah. I was really. I was getting nervous in the first 20 minutes, <laughs> oh, right. and I almost texted you when I was in the theater <laughs> because I was like, maybe maybe it's me. Maybe You're I am sure, not right. getting something, or maybe yeah, yeah. because I haven't grown up with Ghibli right. and Miyazaki that, like, oh, maybe you just have to be in the know. Maybe you got to be on the team already <laughs> yeah, right. before stepping into this film. Fair. So fair. honestly, it's good to hear that it yeah. was a little lackluster, especially those first 20 minutes, half an yeah. hour maybe for you. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: and, and it's not that there's not quality in the slower moments of Mahito grieving, yeah. uh, or coming to terms and and discovering the mystery of this estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he can see these things uh, because he's part of the bloodline. Uh, I think there's there's quality there. It just feels yeah. like there's too much of a one eighty. In when the film finally gets into mm-hmm. his fantasy, yeah. so yep, uh, and, and that's why disjointed was was really the word I kind of came to with it. But no, I, I, I'm right there with you, and I, I worry that this doesn't wow audiences enough for the expectations of it mm-hmm. for someone that maybe hasn't given Ghibli films a shot. Though the theater reaction to some of this was, I had a horrible theater experience. Oh, with okay. this. oh really? Yeah, yeah, there was a guy. Yawning like so obnoxiously. Like he was saying, like, <laughs> he was yawning in a way that he goes, Oh, like, <laughs>
0: just, yeah, like, shut up, dude. Right. Like,
1: what is that? And then there was absolutely a, an older couple in the back that clearly had some drinks or something like that and was just like, So, like, what is this? Oh, okay. <laughs> what is happening? And I, I don't know, I feel like this didn't communicate why. Ghibli is the goat. You know what I mean? Why it's, you know, they are the greatest. It's a shame because
0: not only is it uh, it enough for Mm -hmm. true fans like you, Mm. uh, it might be, it also might not be enough for even newbies yes right because of that rainbow the problem is you get there eventually yeah 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 but what is going to be the engagement level Mm -hmm. of those people coming into it for the first time
1: yeah exactly so I I would say uh, the the English sub is definitely worth note Uh, yeah what what did you watch English English.
0: cool annoying though trying to figure out a decent time that's Mm. why I had to go to a movie tavern (laughs) Oh, because because, the the times were shit
1: they were were simultaneously doing uh, Japanese as well so
0: and I'll say right off the bat Mm. uh, I have been hardcore watch the non-dubbed. Hardcore, yes. I'm a big subtitle guy, big yep. subtitle guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, I forget what movie, that, oh, yeah, I would have loved it more Napoleon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But for these films in particular, for these animated films and Ghibli films in particular, yeah. the voiceover work is so solid. Sure. So solid. Absolutely. Uh, you are safe to watch the dub yeah. without a doubt.
1: Absolutely. And so much of this, uh, uh, this voice cast plays into its marketing. It's it's kind of a larger Prestige and a larger, uh, just just variety of voice casts uh, than ever uh, in these films. I mean, I think Willem Dafoe had like four or five lines in right. this, right? Right, and you recognize it pretty pretty right away. Especially he, he like he, he plays like this like beat up pelican. I was <laughs> just like, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's Dafoe for sure. He wanted to be like the weirdest you know bit character on screen. <laughs> but right. I feel like it's absolutely in the DNA of of yeah. why this movie is coming to the. To the west and so much hype around it i would say my my only like real highlight is robert pattinson uh in in playing the heron himself showing a big range for him as this like twisted bird creature uh the heron was also my favorite character perfectly capturing some of the evil that is implicit in magical creatures of this world and a lot of ghibli works that there's just kind of an indifference to uh, like human life, that they are like beyond it, uh, mm-hmm. and it plays into that otherworldly element that was really great about the fantasy side. About that, uh, when it when it comes down to it, um, I didn't think that. The English cast was bad, but I really didn't have any other highlights. I'm curious to see if any anything else stands. I thought
0: out. everybody did a great job at what mm-hmm. they needed to be. I completely agree with you where Robert Pattinson was like unrecognizable. Completely. For sure. I mean, completely unrecognizable. And yeah. it was just it was kind of kind of cool to see. Yeah. If you didn't know going into it, it was Robert Pattinson. Oh, you would you would yeah. never guess at this guy. Right. Which I gotta say, I mean, I am so pro Pattinson. Yeah. And I he's, think he's kind of been He's kind of been my guy for a little bit.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, he's, he's, <laughs> <suck>. <laughs> he's here though. It was, he's, it, Ethan Hawke just arrived. Robert Pattinson met him at the I, door. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, even before the Batman, which I love. Oh, him, sure, love sure. him as the Batman, yep. but he was good, He was in good some <laughs> other stuff too, but. Uh, yeah, he, he was a great performance. Everyone else was just doing what they needed to do. Mm. I think uh, Florence Pugh yeah. again, like with how young she is, she has that deep, just older person voice, sure, in you're a good a raspy, way. Yeah, uh, I thought her character was great. Everyone did a fine job, mm. um, but it's it's. I feel like with what the characters were, just the script in general, yeah. it's hard to have like more standouts. I would say maybe the other one might have been like Dave Bautista. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, he he plays like this mole general or something like that. No, oh no, no, no. He, he was a parakeet. parakeet. Yeah, that's parakeet right, general uh, yeah. or king parakeet, whatever. Yeah, uh, that was enjoyable. Yeah, yeah was yeah. just a funny standout kind of. But otherwise, yeah. uh, everything was just very solidly done. Yeah. So it to have that seamlessness mm-hmm. uh, was it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and just just while we're on that note about some of maybe some of these these funnier characters, when you get in that fantasy, uh, don't get me wrong, the film does hit a stride in the sense that I feel like. Kid audiences are going to love just like just the, the usual Ghibli cuteness of it. You oh, know, yeah. The amount of parakeets that are in this and the the characterization of these birds and kind of the fascination with just like a lot of different birds in this. Uh, uh, Just it, very cute Uh, and, and heartwarming. Yeah, I was so. surprised
0: that it was PG-13. Yeah. I think it might be dealing with some heavy tones maybe. Right, but, right. But uh, I don't know. I would take a pretty young per- young kid to see this.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, Last but not least, I want to touch on animation. I already kind of did in in the beginning. Um, I would say this is something that I had very high expectations for, as I'm sure every fan of the studio had as well. Ghibli is an animation house that often sets a new bar with its releases, no less uh, after these these stints of retirement with Miyazaki. Uh, Occasionally, there are some 3D models used on simple things like... You know, like objects like luggage, luggage, I don't know why I I, I zoned into that one, but it's a a touch disappointing to see. Uh, Not that I want to cut the work of an industry rapidly shifting to 3D animation, uh, but it felt like cutting corners a little bit for a studio that is known for... Again, hand-drawn masterpieces. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, this primarily affects our newest kind of forest spirit mascot creature. These little white blobs that look super cute for sure, but previously in Ghibli's history would be wonderfully hand-drawn. I, I of course, lean on the forest spirits. <laughs> you know, uh, in Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. um, of just being same kind of cute vibe, same kind of ma- you know mascot for the film. Uh, certainly i I'm, imagine that plays into you know toy sales for Ghibli in Japan, but when it comes down to it, uh I was just disappointed to see that that was yet another it felt like a a corner cut mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. for it um This is especially driven home in the highlights of animation of this film uh around certain things like fire and smoke and crowds uh once again, going back to those parakeets, the stunning over animation in these parts uh was wonderful the opening sequence which is shown in the trailer uh that you can check out at home folks is downright breathtaking in its fluidity and its motion and its panic uh and it was i i personally felt in addition to like that slowness that we both experienced i was just kind of waiting around in the movie to be stunned again by something of that quality uh that's interesting Obviously, I'm, I'm a big animation nerd. Not right. everyone is going to see the film this way, but I think Ghibli kind of makes their own bed in expecting some of this as well, even for mm. uh, a more middle-of-the-road audience. Uh, so, uh,
0: I don't know. Did did the 3D so bother you at all? It, it, it wasn't. I mean, I, w- I noticed that some things were off here or there, mm-hmm. or it was a new animation style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would be like most other viewers where that's not going to uh, – it won't bother sure. t- too, too much. Sure, sure. The biggest thing I think Ghibli fans at heart and everything like that, I think it's going to take issue, and I think for good reason. Mm. My biggest thing with the animation was, I feel like Ghibli's animation, and I mean, maybe this is just my just my uh, ignorance of it. I feel like their animation is super consistent, like mm-hmm. that hand-drawn stuff mm-hmm. where whether I'm watching this or whether I'm watching something from them 25 years ago mm-hmm. kind of looks the exact same. Oh yeah. I mean that that's now,
1: that's the the hand of Miyazaki right. I would say. And
0: that's amazing yeah. and and great. Mm-hmm can also be bad because maybe it doesn't feel like you're watching something new and fresh Mm -hmm. visually I can see someone new stepping into this film Mm -hmm. and being like okay this is something that matches 1985 Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing there's Mm -hmm. a there's an there's a greatness to that you can watch every film and feel this connection or you know it magically doesn't feel aged mm. but at the same time does feel aged Sure, it all sure. depends how you want to look at it yeah um, or we can
1: maybe call that like a Wes Anderson syndrome where the style becomes a little bit of a burden after being done so right, many times right
0: and I, I don't know where to really go with that but mm. I do know that just watching this film and not knowing anything about it would I say that it was made in 2023 no mm. and I don't okay. know if that's a good thing or not interesting now interesting. one thing you said um, uh, Studio Ghibli you mentioned that per film they kind of perfect something or they can be a trendsetter in some way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, from. But not animation style.
1: Um, not necessarily animation style, but sometimes animation techniques. Uh, a perfect example of this is one of the earliest films, Nausicaa. Yeah. Uh, they revolutionized how how intense cell. Uh, cel, um, I don't know actually what the, the technical term for it, but how things were layered in the animation to achieve certain movement like features. Of, of of, yeah, the fluidity of characters. Okay. Yeah.
0: But still kind of, we, we're used to that hand drawnness. Yes. They, they weren't prefer- Affecting on this or anything like that. Like, uh,
1: yeah, more so than I, I would say film to film, it feels like an arms race to do crazier and crazier concepts. A good example okay, this yeah, is yeah. as well from Princess Mononoke, Japanese mysticism to it. Uh, uh, you know, the, its fantasy is breathtaking. You go then to four years later with Spirited Away. It's a kaleidoscope of that same mm-hmm, mm-hmm. degree of uh, of crazy designs and monsters and and spirits. And okay, things like that's that. what you. So, me
0: by building upon and kind of yes, okay,
1: exactly. Uh, it, in in maybe in lesser hands, it would be too busy on screen. Mm. I feel like they set a bar because they make it. So uh, so palatable and so so breathtaking to look at.
0: Okay, very so. good. Yeah, and I would say this is breathtaking. Pal- definitely palatable. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that was my big note on the animation, though. And mm-hmm. that was I was it was going back and forth in my head. Where mm-hmm. is it going to feel old? Yeah. And but that, could that also be a good thing or right. a negative thing? Does it feel fresh anymore? Does it not? Mm-hmm. Certainly, where he goes and yeah. this, you know, the funny thing was starting so slow. It's you take a, a Tarantino esque turn, <laughs> yeah. and you're saying like, "What's going on? We, we got all the way here." Yeah. You know is <laughs> like
1: a dustal dawn right. <laughs> like it's just like wait it's a different movie now <laughs>
0: so yeah
1: and maybe that's a positive for folks at home maybe uh that aspect will kind of subvert some expectations as well um i think the good news here is that though we are focusing on a lot of critiques tuning the film down uh i i i think um it- it's again it does not Dip below a certain mark. Uh, on last week's episode, like I said, I explained in my mind, as least, that Miyazaki is like a Scorsese of anime. But really, what I mean by that is he's an auteur. That that is where the mm-hmm. style comes into play. That it is Miyazaki. It's almost un, You know, it's almost inseparable from uh, his style, from his uh, from how he makes the yes, films. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh- <laughs> I'm cracking a smile because you don't want to make. You don't even want to hear the comparison that. I was oh. thinking of <laughs> Do it. No. Hit me with it. hot just take. Just <laughs> like Michael Bay. Is oh, oh. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Okay. We'll call. We'll meet in the middle and call it Wes Anderson syndrome. Okay. We'll meet. Uh. <laughs> I could do it. Or I was going to go J.J. Abrams is okay, Lens Flare. Sure. Lens Flare sure. is J.J. Okay. Abrams. I wouldn't
1: call either an auteur, but. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> I, o- I always love our hot takes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, folks, so while this review has a lot of critiques, it comes from uh, a place of expectation for greatness, and if anything, uh, my intro to Killers of the Flower Moon review should have maybe even be repurposed here. You know, I mean, Miyazaki is such a, a creative powerhouse, uh, such a, a brilliant mind, a creative mind that... Uh, really, uh, though there was aspects of this film that I feel were weaker than most, um, it still doesn't believe uh, it still doesn't dip below that bar. Uh, I want to let the score speak louder than my words for that reason, and um, that through line to the film has such a high degree of quality, care, and once again to this auteur piece. A personal element uh, in, in every ounce of it. In my opinion, does it stand alongside the greats, quote unquote, from Studio Ghibli? Not quite, uh, but you can be sure this film has added to the incredible year animation has had in 2023. We're going to go ahead and give the boy and the heron a 72.
0: A 72, a very tame, tame score. And, and we, you know, a, a good score. Yes. A, okay. a 72 is a good score. And as far as just like for a film yep. to get a 72, that is a good movie right yeah, there. Absolutely. It's a pretty good movie. It's a 72% for us. The yep. problem is, is when you're coming, you know, it, this whole review might have sounded somewhat down yes, on the film. right, right. But it's just because that's how heavy... Studio Ghibli is, sure. or a heavy hitter, basically, sure. they are. Again, yep. look at the must-watches. Yep. Look at the scores of these films. Mm-hmm. Uh, they belong in a certain area, a certain pocket of our percent. So Absolutely. 72 might be low. Still a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and expectation aside, that's where I feel like, even within the movie, the word of disjointed comes to mind in that uh, in what it sets up for itself, then. so
0: Excellent, excellent. So uh, I, I will say, personally... I wasn't really in the... I kind of had to drag myself to the theater a little bit. Okay. I wasn't excited about this. Okay, uh, Again, just me. I'm not the biggest Ghibli head, right, whatever right, you guys yeah, call
1: yourselves. Yeah. Or, or anime. right whatever you guys, you guys.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> But I did see it. I'm glad I saw it. But I, I went in not ex- expecting too much. I knew I was going to get a pretty good mm, film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the hope of greatness. You know, I, I did have a hope of maybe mm-hmm. this is something truly special, yes. something that can hit for so many audiences. Doesn't matter if what medium you're watching, meaning anime, you know, or animation for mm-hmm. sure. I didn't really feel the need to give this. Oh, a t- here we go. I didn't feel the need to give this a two-shoes. I was impressed by some things. I thought yep. the beginning was a little lackluster. I mean, we talked a decent amount already, so you have a better, a pretty sure, decent yeah, uh, idea where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, the reason why I will give it a two-shoes mm. is the overarching theme of the story. And you know, mm-hmm. although I think it's i th- I thought at the time it was dribbled out, and maybe I was just searching for this theme. Mm-hmm. I think the more reflection I have on it, the more kind of it is beautiful it is This story is so much about a perseverance mm. uh but it's really about taking up uh, responsibility mm. and doing things that necessarily you don't want to, be even driven to do good and mm. to keep going basically and an over overarching- theme of. Life and um and it's just when I say it's a very pro-life film, I don't Mm. want that to be caught up in like modern day politics. Oh, right, right, right? pro-life, but it's extremely pro-life in the sense of an 82-year-old Japanese man reflecting (laughs) on (laughs) life. There's elements all throughout it. And uh, uh, I I found that to be touching. And again, the more thought I have on it, Mm. the more of the themes that I really have come to appreciate. Mm. I think the telling of the story is really well. Mm -hmm. Whether it's lackluster in this way or you're expecting more in this way, Mm -hmm. uh, for sure I can be in that camp. The beginning of it being, am I, uh-oh, am I wrong? Am I not getting something? Do I just not get Studio Ghibli? Sure, the, to the, the end being the fight like, or flight. <laughs> I walked out, didn't have a huge smile on my face, wasn't blown away, wasn't right, wowed, right. overly wowed. Um, but the overarching theme with its characters and the way the film ends up going, it's, um, I just, I do want to give an extra nod to. Mm. And I do want to give it Tommy Two Shoes, where I was hoping to be in the potential two shoes, two laces oh, all sure, time. Oh, sure, right, right. Right. Um, this gets two shoes and no laces. Okay. For that, I think it's 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 kind of close to your seventy two, maybe a little bit below that. Sure, sure. I just don't think it's quite there. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly the theming and the tones of the overarching ideas of the film, I absolutely love. Mm. So and well that, said,
1: well said. Yeah. I, I like uh, like what you said is specifically around kind of. The story is about forcing yourself to do what is necessary and responsible, but something that you kind of don't want to do, you know? Right. Uh, I I think that really hits the nail on the head. Well said.
0: And at the end, you can also... (sighs) it's funny because it'd be fun to talk to you later about this mm-hmm. because you can also say the exact opposite actually is where the film mm-hmm. goes at one point sure. but I think overarching it's about just doing you mm-hmm. know taking up the responsibility you didn't think that you would have to mm. I love that and that search just for life and everything it's just, just fantastic in that realm yeah so but otherwise two shoes no laces you know people people th- <laughs> seems like nobody knows what the shoes mean so that, that <laughs> means to whatever you want it to mean <laughs> so but that's the point yeah. <laughs> you don't See, to me my head makes total Sense. right the touch on the shoes by the way someone bitched about it to me and then i was just like well it's like stars and if you have this and i thought god dad, that that's a great idea that was great what i just did it's just like stars for me i literally put it in percentage form right. and it gets right. so confusing <laughs> um But anyway, that's where that stands. (laughs) Two Shoes, No Laces, a 72% for you, Vin. Uh, Who is this movie for? This is going to be in theaters for the next few weeks. Um, Is this for anybody, people who don't really like animation or what we consider, oh, that's just a kid animation film Mm. or whatever. I don't know this Studio Ghibli. Is it for people out there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I think it, uh, especially with the holiday season, this might hit as a uh, not like a Christmas movie per se, but a family movie. Yeah, uh, definitely. And especially how cutesy uh, like the parakeets can be, and the and the blobby creatures, the four spirits, and whatnot. But uh, as well, I, I say let the let the cast speak for itself. If you are interested in anyone in that cast, and especially Robert Pattinson, give it a shot. You know, what I mean, I think voice acting wise is uh, is an interesting highlight for this. Okay,
0: film. excellent, Vin. All right, thank you so much, Vin. Is there any uh, any closing notes or roll credits here? <laughs> no. Oh, no, no, we we are we're
1: almost done with December, but uh, uh, it's just head down. It's head
0: down. Get the I, I mean done. I love it. I'm glad we have great movies. <laughs> yes, you know at yes. the beginning of the of the year, so such a slog,
1: right? To get, and and to the get beginning of that, next well, year well. Is- <laughs> to get
0: through January and February. But some movies that we're actually excited for. You yes, know what I mean? They're yes. not all Aquaman two. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is good to see but anyway we definitely ran long here Vin thank you so much for watching these films thanks for stopping by here tonight folks at home we're gonna run it down one more time we have Paris Texas with a 48% if Beale Street could talk with a massive 86% that's a must watch we have Leave the World Behind with a 62 Eileen with a 78 and The Boy and the Heron with a 72%. Folks, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week with another big week here on the Daily Ratings Podcast. Hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, Or if you just want to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by TheDailyRatings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in this podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on TheDailyRatings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you've received from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we want to be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.